the Ursus Claws! Welcome to episode 129 of the Age of Darkness podcast. As usual, don't forget to like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, all the social medias, do the social medias, our email addresses. You can contact us at agedarknesspodcast at gmail.com. And if you uh, like what we're doing, want to get a shirt, check us out on Big Cartel. As usual, we have a pack show. Darren, what are we doing in the Strategium? So what we're doing in the strategy this week, we're continuing with our Legion deep dive. So whereas the last episode was the old Marines, um, this time we're still sticking with the Loyalist Legions, uh, but one that doesn't have quite such a good heresy as the old Marines, which is the Raven Guard. But you and I have no idea about Raven Guard other than we butchered them on this fan. So what we've done, we've brought <laughs> in a common guest that we've had quite regularly recently, which is Alex from the Death and Betrayal podcast. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, Good. Good. I'm uh I'm excited. I'm re-energized about the Raven Guard after this talk and uh and and after the latest I don't know if it's the latest, but after listening to the Iterators podcast and after listening to this one and well, I haven't listened to this one yet, but I spoke about it. Now I'm having a real hard time focusing on my blood angel. Yeah, and it's okay. Yeah, and and version two has really dragged people back into some of their older legions as well, haven't they? So, Mm -hmm. and the Raven God have had some big changes. Yeah, and some some real real nice ones too. After that, in Tales of Heresy, we'll be starting a new series on Wolfsbane by uh, Guy Helly. So uh, that should be a multi part series, and we are slowly closing in on the last book. We've only got like three left to do. Um, That's gonna be that's gonna be fifty second. Out of 54. Yeah. And it won't come as a shock that I have opinions on Wolfsbane. I have no, I have no doubt you have some, uh, but keep Just, them, you know, keep them to the proper segment. Yes. Yes. Because it varies as we go through, but it's a good, it's a good book. It's a good one. Uh, I do enjoy it, but yeah, yeah. Opinions on that, but we'll come back to that one later. Excellent. But before we continue on this packed episode, as usual, don't forget that there are still a few tickets available for Miles's uh, painting class in lovely Montreal, Quebec, Canada. She'll be held January 28th and 29th at La Dis Game Store. Again, wonderful venue, as we spoke about last time. Alex, uh, you've been to, uh, you've taken uh, painting classes with uh, Miles before. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a valuable, valuable experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you you pick a lot up and you pick it up quickly, um, and it's it's enjoyable. It's not it's not extremely didactic. It's broken up nicely, which I enjoy. And, uh, and there's usually a few uh, adult beverages flowing, which just makes it all all the more. It's like Bob Ross for adults. Exactly, and of course, as I mentioned last time, that this has a full bar and restaurant. So um, it's it's a great venue, and uh, hopefully we can get some games in uh, uh, with the people that uh, that attend. I'm still mm-hmm. bummed out that you can't make it because same weekend as uh, LVO. Yeah, I, I got got uh, prior engagements. Yeah, so, that's okay. But it'll be for next. We still time. have a few tickets available for LVO if you can't make it to Montreal. Yeah. I think we've got we've got less than twenty tickets left. So oh, that's it. Um, yeah, yeah, we're already we're over eighty people. Well, let's take advantage of you being here. Uh, do you want to plug uh, LVO a little bit? Talk about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, we the the main event is um, the narrative campaign, which is going to feed into the push for Beta Garmin Global campaign, um, and that's uh, uh, 
I can't actually remember what I called this one. Oh, it's uh, Assault on Real Prime, I think. Um, and uh, so we're we're moving, continuing the story from uh, LVO 2022, uh, moving on to the next planet in the system and seeing the war effort continue and, and flare ups. That way we can continue to see our characters develop, um, a lot of which uh, will be returning from last year's event um, because we don't we don't allow unique characters or primarchs in the main set, but we do at the climactic final battle because the conflict kind of grows enough and large enough that it attracts all these sort of legendary heroes uh, in the final stage. And so day one and day two uh, represent the landing and the reinforcement of the first wave. Um, uh, and you'll play your games out through that um, very same format to last year. Uh, so for those that didn't attend, um, when you get you get your mission packs the day of, what we kind of call like your marching orders, um, and uh, you you don't see what your opponent's objectives are. So it's very much got like a fog of war around it. You know what you're trying to do, but you have to try to figure out what your opponent is trying to do so you can also stop them from doing it. Um, and it adds sort of a layer of tactical depth that I think we we sometimes miss when we know what the other person is trying to do. Um, but anyways, it's, it's fun. It's, it's strongly narrative based and uh, it's going to be a, a campaign that'll lead into the third day, which is the climactic battle, um, which will have uh, several sort of larger tables, just like we did at uh, the return to Istvan drop site massacre at Adepticon. Uh, and then there'll be a few tables around that. And um, I, I've got a few people who've mentioned that they can bring Zone Mortalis tables, so I'm hoping to have a Zone Mortalis mega table uh, in action at the same time. Um, and then if if that's not your shtick, if you don't like big battles or working as a team, uh, there will be a full um, sort of competitive tournament on the Sunday as well, and that'll be three games, uh, 3,000 points, no hold barred, bring, do your thing, and uh, go for the top spot. And I don't know how many tickets we have sold on that one, but I, I do know that for the uh, narrative experience, Salt on Rail Prime, we've got uh, over 80% of the tickets sold. We had 100 spots. Oh, that's amazing. So on that weekend of the 28th and the 29th of January, you have tons of options for amazing heresy experiences. Either check out LVO, uh, play in uh, Alex's uh, narrative tournament, or you can uh, come to Montreal with us and... Um, um, and learn to paint more good. Yeah. Yeah. And then you Tons can win more options. prizes if you come to LVO after that. <laughs> I guess you could take a flight. I mean, it's not. Well, it, not it, the it, same weekend. I mean, like the following year. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can take a quick flight. No, I, I don't think yeah. it's going to. I don't think it would work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think you'll get a full army painted uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in that on just on the Saturday anyway. <laughs> All right, that's good for an intro. Let's go right into discussing the Raven Guard. Welcome to a strategy, and today we are joined again by Alex, who's coming quite regular on the show at the moment. But today, rather than just talking generally, Alex is going to be focusing on his specialist subject, not Black Shield. We're saving that one for the future. He's going to be talking about the 19th Legion, the Raven Guard, the shattered one or one third of the shattered Legion had an absolute kick in on the sands of Isfan, but they were very instrumental through the rest of the war in those small operations. Alex, once again, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Before we go any further, how can we find you and your podcast and also uh, the, the the campaign that you're running? Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, always, always a pleasure to come on. Any excuse I can get to go and 
talk more heresy with anybody is uh, heavily welcomed. Um, but yeah, if, if you want to listen to uh, myself and my co-host Craig, just talk absolute nonsense around heresy. Uh, you can find us um, on uh, all major podcast networks under the death and betrayal podcast. Uh, and uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash DAV podcast on Instagram at the DAV podcast. Uh, and then you can find the push for beta Garmin uh, on Facebook at um, well, search push for beta Garmin. Or if you go to our Instagram, there's a link tree on the, the bio. So the link is in the bio. You can click on that and then that'll take you to the page and you can request. Uh, it's really blown up actually over the last like 48 hours and we've had like 50 new participants join in. So uh, we're almost 150 people now. So Alex, we're going to talk about their changes in version two. Take it away. What are they like? Yeah, uh, huge, hugely exciting. Um, they they feel a lot more, I think, like like you hear about them in the books. The uh, at at face value, uh, I guess I guess we would start with um, kind of their legion specific rules. So uh, I know we're kind of getting right into it, but there's a lot and there's a lot of nuance to the Raven Guard, and that always kind of existed, I think, when you were playing them, but even more so now. But what I like is that now I feel because of the change in the rules and the changes to their Legion specific rules, you can actually kind of mix and match them a little bit. So one thing I found early in my uh, 1.0 Raven Guard career was um, you, you kind of had to choose either by wing or by Talon. And so to reference back to 1.0, by wing and by Talon was part of their Legionis Astartes rule which was any infantry unit that didn't have a jump pack or terminator armor or um, on a bike or jet bike, they got infiltrate and fleet. And then anyone that I just listed got furious assault. So they got plus one to wound on a turn, which they charged. And that was kind of it for their, for their rules. Um, But it, I found that they didn't synergize well. So you kind of had to go all infiltrating or, all sort of jump marines and terminators and typically it would be jump marines because i personally i've always kind of felt like the raven guard were more synonymous with jump packs than like the blood angels um and that's probably hugely controversial but um for me like anytime you listen to like raven guard books or raven guard stories like jump packs are always coming in in some way shape or form and korax's flight comes from a jump pack uh, he doesn't have, you know, natural wings like Sanguinius. But then every time you kind of read like, you know, Fear to Tread, it's mo- or any of the Blood Angel stuff, it's mostly the only time you see jump packs are on the Sanguinary Guard. Um, you typically see them on foot. I know, obviously, like there's a, I think there's a short story out now around like Angel's Tears, but that's just always how I felt. Um, so I, as I sort of went through. Two point or 1.0, I, I had started heavily and, you know, with, with a bit of mixing and I found it left massive gaps and poor synergies. And then I moved over into kind of being mass infiltration. And then in the later iterations, I became a lot more of like drop Marines. So with the changes to one or to 2.0 drop Marines got, um, hugely helpful, uh, and, and they got pumped up a lot. So we'll talk more about that in dark furies, but they also split and the uh, Legion specific rules and became a little more detailed. So now it's called shadow and fury 
And your models will essentially drop into one of three buckets, either the talons, uh, which is units of comprised entirely of models with the talons special rule, uh, which would be anyone in the infantry type, but do not have the heavy subtype, a Legion Warhawk pack, a Corvid pattern jump pack, which we'll come back to, or Tartarus Terminator model gains the talent special rule. So this is your regular infantry, your seeker squads, your more day thin, uh, your tactical Marines, your recon Marines. And inside the talons, which is actually one of the um, reorganizations that Korax puts his legion into post Istvan, uh, gains infiltrate and shrouded six plus uh, when they're targeted by a shooting attack. Um, and that's only if the model is more than eight inches away from any model in the target unit. And so that kind of keeps them in line, but gives them a little bit of survivability as well. Cause the fleet never, I know i I think I hardly ever used the fleet with the infiltrate gentlemen, um, with my old infiltrating list. So they've all got some degree of being extra sneaky, uh, which is nice, um, and very fluffy. It really plays to the narrative there. And then you have the Falcons. And so the Falcons are kind of the old, uh, jump packs. And so it's any models, uh, that have the dreadnought unit type, um, or if they have both the Raven guard and the infantry unit type and the heavy subtype or any models uh, with a Legion Warhawk jump pack, Corvid jump pack, or Tartarus armor, uh, Tartarus Terminator armor. They'll fall into the Falcons. And now this is a little bit better because if they make a successful charge, even if that charge is disordered, then they can reroll all failed to wound rolls of one. So a little bit better than the plus one to wound, I would argue, is rerolling ones. So you get somewhat of a preferred enemy, but that does become a little redundant if you use decapitation strike uh, and you happen to be charging a unit with an independent character. And then lastly is the Hawks. This one I'm not as jazzed about. Um, it's a little more widespread, but we actually lost the uh, Darkwing Pattern Storm Eagle, which had like shrouded, uh, on it. Uh, sorry, stealth, not shrouded uh, in 1.0. So you could take your jinx saves at a three plus, which was really good. It made a really survivable storm eagle um, and made a great delivery system for a lot of units. Uh, but now with the Hawks, it's any models uh, with the Raven Guard special rule, the cavalry type, or both the vehicle unit type and the flyer or fast unit subtypes. Um, you gain the Hawk special rule. So any model with this special rule gains the shrouded six plus on any turn in which they run, move flat out or move as a zooming flyer with this benefit lasting until the start of the controlling player's next turn. Or if that model would already gain the shrouded six plus special rule, it would instead gain shrouded five plus. So the only time that that would really kick in is say, if you've got a Praetor um, or an independent character on a bike and you gave them Camellia line which is in their, um, their equipment. And we'll come back to that. So uh, any immediate questions from you guys around uh, the, their Legion of Stardew special rule? Yeah, I mean, to me, it sounds much more like they've designed it as post-Ispan, what the Legion is structured like post-Ispan as opposed to Great Crusade. Yeah. Um, but you've, you've clearly got three distinct styles there, haven't you? So you can lean into one of those styles if you want, if you want to, if you want that, stealthy force you can do so or if you want that more close combat orientated force you can it does give your vehicles a nice bonus doesn't it so yeah um and, and the bikes 
bikes are a little more survivable with shrouded six plus. And I think the other thing to kind of bear in mind as well is it's saving you reactions because you're not having to spend reactions to get those shrouded saves. Yeah, that's true. Yep. So, you know, that means you can, in your shooting phase, you know, if you really want to keep a unit alive, then you can do the evade reaction and give you slightly better shrouded. But it means you can focus more on a return fire reaction. Yeah, exactly. So I think that interaction with rules is quite important and and fits in narratively with what the Raven Guard like as well, doesn't it? Uh, it, it does. Um, and it, it makes me hopeful that we'll see the Raptors included in a later, in a later iteration. Um, and then we'll see them get their own bucket of rules within shadow and fury. Um, cause the deliverers are cool. Like that's a cool unit, um, which is in the, the legacies PDF along with both of their regular characters. Um, but, uh, I I, I would I think I would have preferred to have seen the Raptors as a as a legacies unit, but it, I, there's still just, hope that we could get them later. Yeah, it's a similar situation to the Suntorus wanting Lupiki and getting the chieftains. It's nice, yeah, it's good. They're good, but we want Lupiki. I think you're in a similar position to us with the Suntorus in that the, um, the Raptors will probably get bespoke models if they do appear. Same as the Lupiki will get bespoke models. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good chance. But I, I wonder too if if the Raptors will even break into two separate rule sets because you had the smooths and the roughs. So you had the smooths, which were, you know, a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, kind of like a Marine, like 1.1. They grew faster as well. So quick, like aside, technically Corax uses child soldiers because some of the full grown deployed Raptors are like 15 years old. All the starties are child soldiers. Well, they're all trained from like children, but most of them are not able to be active until about 18, 19 years old. Um, but because yeah, of the, the so shenanigans that he uses, like 10 years yeah. old, come on, like, yeah, you're, you're, you're yeah, it, it's a dark universe. You can, it you is. can tell yeah. you're a loyalist player, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's justified. They're not, they're, they're teenagers when they're joined, when they're combat ready. Yeah, hang on. That's no different than the reserves, really, um, or army cadets. If you go army cadets and then reserves, that's a common, like... Yeah, they don't modify your body. <laughs> yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> and where, like, the survival rate is only, like, 10%. <laughs> it was sure better. It's... I think it was better in the Great Crusade, was it not? It was still low, but it was still better, I think, than it is in, like, 40K. <laughs> it's one of the reasons that Descent of Angels is such a good movie movie is such a good book is that they show you just how horrible getting picked for uh being a starties is it's like yeah. okay i'm just gonna stand here in the cold till like 90 percent of us die and whoever's still alive uh gets to be in a starties <laughs> also i'm 10 yeah if you lose your legs you become lobotomized and put into a serfdom yeah. um yeah Anyway, let's, yeah. let's carry on <laughs> all right yeah so we'll get back so before we move forward we'll, we'll i guess we'll cover the advanced reaction and this one's pretty cool um it, it's very similar to the blood angels one uh if, if you guys remember that and um the blood angels or sorry the the raven guard advanced reaction it's made during the opposing player's shooting phase same as before uh but um your raven guard unit then gets to move but before the shooting attack is resolved. So it kind of dances the line between the Alpha Legion reaction and the Blood Angels one, uh, because I don't have to make a charge, but I can move 
uh, like the Alpha Legion one. However, uh, once I move up to the highest unmodified initiative characteristic, then the unit gains shrouded four plus for the remainder of the turn. Uh, and if the shooting attack is no longer valid, uh, then you just don't get to make it. Uh, and you can't select a different target uh, or make any dice rolls. Um, but I'm also not shrouded just to that shooting attack. I'm shrouded for the remainder of the turn. So it's very much like we moved, blended into the shadows, and we'll come back out of them later. So I really like this one. It's come in handy a couple times uh, during games. Um, and if you time it just right, it can really save your skin. Like I got caught uh, when I was playing against Craig uh, one time and, and he kind of pushed me away and I knew he was going to try to like get me into a kill zone with my, my warlord and his jump unit. And I used that advanced reaction to actually position me for a charge on my next active turn, but give me huge amounts of survivability. Um, and so I was able to weather a whole bunch of shots from combat bikes and from uh, reavers, um, or uh, sorry, uh, seekers, not reavers. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I only lost like a couple Marines, but then I was in a situation where I could jump in and get my assault off as opposed to just being like ground into dirt. So, uh, this reaction I think is really, really good, especially if you use it really, really well. Moving forward into uh, warlord traits. Uh, so the bane of tyrants is for the loyalist only. Uh, to your point earlier, Darren, a lot of this new rule set really feels like Raven Guard post-Istvan. And the Raven Guard were like really pissed off traitors, understandably, particularly the word bearers. And so this fits for a loyalist only um, right of war. But if you are engaged in a challenge with an enemy warlord, you can uh, increase your attack and strength characteristic by two. Uh, and then if you're in a challenge with a regular character, you can up your attacks and strength characteristics by one. So this is how uh, in the previous episode, when I was talking about my game with uh, my buddy Armin, I got 10 attacks uh, charging into combat with charging into a challenge with Erebus. So I had um, one, uh, 10 attacks total, I guess. Uh, one with uh, Hammer of Wrath. I got two for having paired Raven's Talons, which we'll talk about in a moment. And then I was uh, four attacks base and then plus two attacks because I was in a challenge with the enemy Warlord. Um, so you can get really buffed up and really, really deadly as a Raven Guard player. Um, and I mean, like strength six on the charge, re-rolling ones, uh, pretty deadly, pretty good. I, and I think that's one of the things about V2, isn't it? Is there's a lot more combinations available in this edition. It's not just individual rules. It's how does this rule stack with this rule or this reaction or this universal special rule or this piece of war gear to really bring out the strengths for your Legion. I think that's one of the key things that I've noticed a lot reading through the army list and reading through the rules. Yeah, yeah. And and I actually, I think the sort of generic loyalist or traitor um, warlord trait, the hidden hand, uh, only helps embolden that statement. And that's while a warlord with this trait is in reserves, the controlling player may choose to reroll all failed reserve rolls. And when it's deployed onto the battlefield, the warlord and all models in the unit he's joined gain the fleet two plus or fleet two special rule. 
and if you pair that with like a corvid pattern jump pack like holy crap are you fast um in addition an army whose warlord has this trait may make an additional reaction during the opposing player's movement phase uh, as long as he hasn't been removed so pretty good you can really time that drop for when you need it if you're running a lot of jump marines uh, as an example um you can really time a really well executed deep strike assault uh and then even if you scatter a little bit, the fleet two will really help you out, get back to where you need to. Uh, the last warlord trait is for trader only. So no gods or no masters. This I really like. Um, and if you haven't read the compendium Korax, not the Primark novel, uh, there's a, a really cool couple story. It's at least one story. I think it's a couple though, where there is a trader Raven guard that got flipped post Istvan. Um, and I can't remember the guy's name, uh, but he felt abandoned by Korax and listened to some, you know, honey words from, uh, the word bearers after Istvan five. There's, he, there's a couple of them. There's also one that's running with uh Sevitar at one point. Mm, yeah, that's right. I forgot about him. This, this guy is actually in command of like a whole facility and he's, uh, running an experimental camp for Fabius Bile. And so he's got a whole bunch of Fabius Biles, quote unquote, new men, which are basically chaos, like possessed. And, uh, and he's got a whole planet's worth of civilian population to experiment on, along with a whole bunch of captured loyalist Legion Astartes. And so if you wanted to build something around that guy, might be a cool option. Um, but when he's in base to base with an enemy infantry or cavalry model, whose weapon skills, strength, or initiative is higher than his, the warlord with this trait increases their weapon skills, strength, and or initiative to match those of the enemy model with the highest value in that characteristic that is in base to base contact with it. In addition, an army whose warlord has this trait may once per battle make a single reaction without spending a point of the controlling player's reaction allotment, as long as the reaction is made by the warlord or a unit the warlord has joined. So I feel, that, sorry, go that's ahead. Quite, that, I was going to say, that's quite tasty, isn't it? That, that's quite a nice one. Yeah, because if you say have, you want to recreate that fight between that guy and Korax, all of a sudden he's fighting like he's Korax. <laughs> and you've got a Marine that's punching as fast, as strong, and as quickly as uh, just as just primer. to also throw it out there, just this is consideration because you know it, it's for flavor from uh, the meta of the moment. Um, on a Furious of the Fury of the Ancients Warlord, oh, yep, so have that on a have that on a contempt chassis with that warlord trait. Oh, god, <laughs> <laughs> just you know, just yeah. putting it out there. And I know Fury of the Ancients is, is the strong meta choice at the moment. Um, because you know dreadnoughts are so powerful i wouldn't recommend doing it in a friendly game but there, there is that potential for competitive gamers because we know that is um upcoming in the hobby a little bit more yeah i didn't think about that but uh holy god in heaven um i don't know <laughs> yeah. on a contempt or chastity that's that's friggin twisted um <laughs> but then it is traitor so what do you expect yeah yeah uh, 100 percent <laughs> i really like and actually go go back to more kind of more of our standard level of gaming i really like the fact that all the loyal well in fact all the legions have loyalist traits and we, we've seen it with 
the trade legions quite a lot, particularly Iron Warriors. I mean, how many Iron Warrior loyalist armies have we seen in the past? But I really like the fact that in the Libra Astartes, there's, that all the legions have got those traitor traits in as well. Just to highlight the fact, every legion had elements that turned to the other side. It's a civil war. It's mm-hmm. a civil war, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I like the fact that there are now specific rules. Because we know what people are like. If it's not written down in black and white in front of them, people think, oh, I'm not sure if I can do it or not. So it'd be, I'm really hoping that over the next few months, couple of years, we start to see more traitor loyalist forces. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I, I know there's one guy here in town uh, in Edmonton, actually, who's working on traitor ultramarines. Yeah, I, that's what I'll be tempted with. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And so he's got, he's already got like a pretty cool backstory cooking for it and like uh, where he's going to have them like go through. Um, uh, I think actually the- he has them like help Istvan 5, like help on Istvan 5. Because um, Darren and I always talked about doing a Black Omega. Black Omega. <laughs> Black Omega. <laughs> that's exactly where I would go. Oh, yeah. 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 Just tur- um, tur- turn the, uh, turn the U upside down. Yeah. Paint yeah. in black and, and with the blue. Oh, yeah. That looks so good. Oh, that would terrorist. look good. Yeah. Led yeah of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Librarian, so, esoterist. Yeah. So, so, someone in the dead account. Because, uh, yeah, the, the, the Ultramarines are, are because Gulliman is actually investigating the, 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 the use of warp power because it could be just another weapon. Why wouldn't you look into it? But some mm-hmm. people looked into it a little too much. Little yeah. too far. Maybe yeah, the, uh, the Nemesis chapter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that'd be so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's on a potential list. That's on a potential is list. A, uh, <laughs> all our <laughs> lists are very long. Well, I've got so many lists, but it's, that that that's that floats around the top quite a lot. That one. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have the Liber Hereticus right now because Craig has it. Um, uh, like he's got my copy, but I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't all of the Alpha Legion ones able to be taken by anybody? Yeah. i didn't notice that yeah. that's gold yeah well so yeah. yeah so you you'll you'll like this then jpa like quick aside into the alpha legion because that's kind of like the other sort of like list that i've been I've got tons of alpha legion stuff i've never gotten around to actually painting more than one model um but uh all of their characters are loyalist or traitor it doesn't say loyalist only or traitor only uh and exodus does not have the unique character type. that's such a, oh, that that's is such so a cool. good trait that is such I a love good that. little rule on that yeah. yeah so he's exodus the one of many and you can take many he can't be the warlord so you can take two of them but <laughs> what a crazy episode we're having that we're talking about the raven guard and uh the alpha legion it's like when uh the the teacher will reverse like the the name order, so the the kid that has whose last name starts with Z gets to be first for something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're so they're so closely like tied. I mean, they're nineteenth and twentieth, and you know the Raptors, which we've talked about a couple times. Kind of the entire like rough situation that they have there is because of the Alpha Legion. Oh yeah, they're they're, they're, they're a gift <laughs> from the Alpha connected. Legion. They're a gift. Yeah, uh, I don't know if. You might want to go back and reread those books. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, say they're, they're a gift. gift. <laughs> they're better and stronger than an average Astartes, therefore they're a gift. It's the same idea as Galvalback or Luke Guy. Look, they're just yeah, better. Even the, smooths, even the smooths were better, though. Like the yeah. smooths were better than the regular ones. And that one didn't need Alpha Legion like Fuckery. shenanigans. Yeah. yeah shenanigans. Alpha yeah. Legion haberdashery. 
Anyway, let's let's crack on. Let's haberdashery. Haberdashery. <laughs> Haberd- a haberdasher is someone that makes like the, the who sells the materials that you use to make clothing. Uh, they were like traveling, like tailors that sold shitty clothes um, and changed stuff. So change the cut. Yeah, I don't know. He put shitty materials into the. I felt like it fit. <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I am familiar with what a haberdasher is. <laughs> so when you but... start, when you throw it at Donnie Brook or something, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the, the the Horace Donnie Brook. Yeah. <laughs> um, so moving into rights award decapitation strike, uh, still probably my favorite. I still really like Liberation Force, and I'm excited for that one, but it's not terribly useful right now. Um, but decapitation strike, uh, all Legion of Stories with the Raven Guard special rule and a detachment with this right gain the preferred enemy independent character special rule. So that's super good. And all models in a unit from a detachment using this right of war assigned to a deep strike assault or flanking assault gain the shrouded five plus special rule for the duration of the game turn in which they are deployed to the battlefield. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So uh, really nice, really survivable. Like, again, this backs up my statement earlier where I mentioned that jump packs, I always felt are more synonymous with the Raven Guard. They even use them more effectively than the Blood Angels do. Good and job, then, Miles isn't here, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, he can fight me. I'll die on that hill. Um, yeah, get on, get in all your digs while the Welshman's away. <laughs> yeah. And then in missions that use victory points, an army that includes a detachment using this right of war gains an additional two victory points for the Slay the Warlord at secondary objective. So you get three victory points if you can kill that character, which you're already set up to do. Uh, and then a detachment using this right of war may only include a single heavy support choice as a limitation and no fortifications. And that makes sense because you're trying to strike hard, strike fast, and cut the head off the snake. Um, this is the one that I typically used in 1.0, and I still use it. I've still used it, I think, every time that I've played with my Ravens in 2.0. Um, it's good, it's fluffy. Uh, but if you're running against a Raven Guard player and you know that they're running this, uh, make sure you protect that Warlord. Because <laughs> he's for sure coming for him. Under no circumstances is he going to not come for him. Because he, he's going to want those three victory points. Uh, that, you know, Gareth Arendi, he wanted that three victory points. He couldn't deliver, but Corrin the Vigilator could. <laughs> and uh it's nice it's 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 a good right of war um it's fluffy and the fact that i've been playing more with jump marines uh helps but i've also noticed now that with 2.0 and I, I think i mentioned it earlier i feel like even you get a lot more synergy out of the talons falcons and hawks than you did out of by wing and talon in 1.0 so i could still use some infiltrate to create some board control and then if you take some Nuncio Voxes, you've got a nice you know, uh, reduction in the chances of your uh, disordered deep strike so that you can really put that scalpel of Salt Marines or Dark Furies right where it needs to go to cut the head off the snake. And you can do it a little more guaranteed because of the Shrouded 5 Plus when they actually land. Yeah, so I, I mean, I like this one. It, it fits. It, it also fits very nicely with Liberation Force. So if you're playing narratively, both fit quite well. Um, I mentioned Liberation Force isn't terribly useful right now. And that's because it kind of requires you to have an allied detachment to really get 
all the legs out of it. And it's really designed to kind of represent the Raven Guard going around and liberating planets from traitor control uh, afterwards. So there's a lot of stories, particularly in the Korax compendium, where that's what they're doing. Um, they're liberating Forge worlds. Like the first, the first story actually in the compendium Korax, I can't remember the planet's name, but it's basically like water world, but it's also a forge world. So all of the different forge cities are just floating around um, on like giant forge ocean liners. Um, Wait, and what, what's the Star Wars planet? Like, Geno not Geonosis. Yeah, it is Geonosis. Yeah. Geonosis, yeah, Geonosis. Okay, yeah, all right. Water's yeah. Planet, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like that, but they're not like stationed in like giant oil rig type things. Um, they're like moving around. And so there's like some cool forge ship to forge ship combat. Uh, it's it's a pretty good story, actually. I'd, I'd encourage you to read it. Um, and uh, so Liberation Force would fit that or a number of the other planets that they cover in, in that book. And so once per battle at the start of any game turn, the controlling player may choose to have all models with the Raven Guard special rule and a detachment using this right of war gain the stubborn special rule for the duration of that game turn. So you're holding line when you really need to, but then all models from an allied detachment that is part of an army whose primary detachment is using this right of war gain the stubborn special rule just flat. And then all models in a unit composed entirely of models with the Legion of Stardis, Raven Guard special rule, gain hatred everything, while at least one model from that unit is within six inches of any model from an allied detachment in the same army. So it's really good, but you really need an allied detachment. And yes, technically you could just take like an allied detachment of Space Marines, but it doesn't really feel the same. <laughs> And uh, a detachment using this right of war may not include any models with the slow, heavy artillery, bombard, or automated artillery subtypes. This is really meant to be like an uprising like it was on Deliverance uh, when um, Korax initially sort of freed the slaves on Lycaeus and then renamed it Deliverance. Uh, a detachment using this right of war must have the Loyalist Allegiance. So you can't take this if you're playing Traitor. And the right of war may only be selected for a primary detachment. So you can't take this for a, um, an allied detachment and then use it to kind of back boost your primary detachment. And an army whose primary detachment is in this right of war must include an allied detachment that is selected from the Solar Auxilia or Imperialis Militia Army List that includes at least four units. Okay, so that's why I was originally like, yeah, you can't use this. And then I second guess myself while I was reading it again. So you have to take Solar Auxilia or Imperial Army uh, Imperialis militia in order to even use this. And you can't just take like an HQ and then, you know, like a unit of grenadiers, you have to actually take a minimum four units. So that'd be your HQ and then either, and then your two troops and then either an elite or a fast attack choice. Uh, yeah. 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 Or a heavy what, support what, choice. Cause you, yeah, you could put the bombard or the artillery in yeah. the allied detachment. That's what I was going to say. Those restrictions you got on uh, on earlier troops. That's what you make sure you load up your your allied section with, isn't it? So you you put your heavy vehicles in your artillery units in there. Um, but stubborn's quite powerful, uh, you know. I, don't, I think in a new edition, not having to modify your leadership for things like morale and pinning is, is huge, especially with the amount of night fighting around, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's big. Yeah, and especially night fighting we'll get to in a moment, but it's not as big of a worry for Raven Guard. 
Yeah, but it would be for your solar ox or your militia. And it would be. Yeah. Bearing in mind that we know leadership values have dropped in this edition, we don't oh know my what God. leadership values. Militia is probably going to be like night fighting. Militia is going to be like leadership five. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> and that's yeah. They will truly find night lords terrifying this edition. Oh Jesus! Um, <laughs> but I'm very excited to see what what comes out of those all right those time, army lists. Time to bring out my discipline masters. I haven't used them in a. <laughs> yeah yeah they're gonna be important (laughs) yeah (laughs) i will be restoring much i'll be restoring discipline quite a lot i think yeah (laughs) with the lash so the flogging flogging will continue until oh man some of my discipline masters have like uh i'm using some of the vrax ones so some of them have like cattle brats oh my god (laughs) it's hard with militia yeah, oh, yeah. You, you can you can make more of the of those uh, cattle prod type if you need. Yeah, the Adeptus Mechanicus uh, Rust Stalker kit comes with a bunch of goads. Actually, I think the regular Scutari one does too. Bunch yeah. of Taser goads. When I told you to fix bayonets and charge anger on, I meant it. <laughs> yeah, come on, <laughs> go charge anger on. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cool. So uh, let's move let's move on into the armory of the Raven Guard. Um, uh, they've got one additional weapon option and then three equipment options that they can take. Uh, so the first is the Raven's Talons. Uh, these changed slightly from uh, the first edition. Um, so they're they're a lightning claw like lightning claws. If you pair them, you get two attacks instead of plus one attack for an additional weapon, um, and uh, you can upgrade. Uh, any lightning claw so any model with the legionaries astartes raven guard special rule that has a lightning claw may upgrade this weapon to a raven's talent for five points which is nicer um, because uh, you can now take like a whole squad of terminators with raven's talents which uh, you probably want to just saying and let's point out lightning claws have improved dramatically in this edition they have yeah so yeah. uh the <laughs> The Raven's Talon is a lightning claw that also has shred and rending five plus. It's the regular lightning claw that that has rending now too, does it not? It's rending six. Rending six, yeah. So, yeah, so sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so the only difference is you've got a slightly better chance of rending, but it's a slightly better chance of rending. Mm-hmm. So you know, dreadnoughts are going to be a little bit more intimidated by you, automata, um, primarchs for example, things are going to think twice now about charging a large unit with Raven Claws in there, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Very much so. And we'll talk about Dark Furious soon and why they're so scary. Um, I mentioned that night fighting isn't as big of an issue. That's because you can buy an improviser. So uh, if you've got the Raven Guard and a character unit subtype, you can give them an improviser for 10 points and that grants the model night vision special rule, which confers to the unit and a plus one bonus of their ballistic skill characteristics. So your regular sergeants and uh, can be ballistic skill five, um, which is pretty handy on things like uh, recon squats. Um, or if you've got, more Dathan, if you put this on a more Dathan sergeant or a seeker sergeant, you've got ballistic skill six. So you can actually reroll uh, your miss and then hopefully, hopefully you get a six on the reroll. But um, yeah, it, it, but it also negates the effects of night fighting for your unit. So you don't become quite as spooked. However, um, it's pretty rare right now, but if you have to take a blind check, then that unit has to take the blind check at an initiative of one. 
So you can get blinded much easier. Yeah, blind. Currently, certainly the Legion's army books, blind's very rare, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I suspect we'll see a lot more of it with the Mechanicum book, probably. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, and then uh, we talk a lot about shrouded and how everyone gets shrouded and then you can do extra things that boost your shrouded. And one of those things is chameleon line. So any Praetor or Legion Centurion may be given the chameleon line upgrade for 20 points, gaining the shrouded six plus or improving an existing version of the shrouded X special rule by one step. Uh, a model with the Mortificator or Pravian console upgrade type may not select chameleon line. So if you put that on, say, your Praetor, and then you use your Advanced Reaction, which gives you Shrouded 4+, you're now Shrouded 3+. Pretty yeah. good. It is pretty good, especially when we need to consider now that Shrouded is a damage mitigation rule. So you've got your armor save or your invulnerable save first. And then if you fail both of those, then you get your Shrouded roll on top of that. Yeah, he's got a pretty good chance, hasn't he? You, you could tank a lot onto a Praetorian or a Pre sorry, a Praetor or Centurion with that upgrade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh, the Corvid Pattern Jump Pack is our, our next piece. Uh, you can upgrade a Legion Warhawk Jump Pack for 10 points. And so what this does is at the start of the player's movement phase, a model with a Corvid Jump Pack may set its move characteristic to a value of 14 for the duration of the controlling player's turn. So again, we're doing it better than Blood Angels. Uh, and then this allows the model with a Corvid Jump Pack to move up to 14 inches, regardless of the movement characteristic shown on its profile, and gain any other benefits of a movement characteristic of 14, including the bonus to charge distance. Big. In addition, all models with a Corvid pattern jump pack that have been activated ignore terrain while moving and charging, but must take dangerous terrain tests when beginning or ending their movement in dangerous terrain. However, it gains a four plus invulnerable save against any wounds inflicted by failed dangerous terrain tests. A model with that an activated Corvid pattern jump pack treats all difficult terrain as dangerous terrain and may move over both friendly and enemy models or units without penalty, but must end its movement at least one inch away from any model from another unit. So functionally, it's the same as a Warhawk apart from you get an extra two inches of movement up to 14 and an invulnerable save against dangerous train checks. Yeah, uh, but there's more. So uh, a model with a Corvid pattern jump pack may still run if it would normally be able to run. This does not allow units that include any models with a heavy unit subtype to run. When making a run move for a model with an activated Corvid jump pack, add the initiative characteristic of that model to 14 to determine how far it may move. The model ignores terrain and models from other units while making a run move with a Corvid pattern jump pack as noted above, but may not make shooting attacks or declare a charge in the same turn which it has run per the normal rules for running. And any model with a Corvid pattern jump pack gains the bulky three Hammer of Wrath one Deep Strike special rules. If it already had the bulky three rule, it gains bulky four instead. And uh, during a reaction made in a phase, the player may not choose to activate the Corvid pattern jump pack to gain any bonus to their movement characteristic. So the fact you get Hammer of Wrath, because the standard Warhawk doesn't, does it? Uh, no, I believe it still does. Does it not? No, no, I don't, oh. I don't think it does. Okay. Well, I've always been paying for the Corvid pattern jump pack because it like makes you crazy fast. Um, if you can buy it, it's worth it. Oh no, it does. Sorry, apologies. It does give a hammer a raft. Yeah. Okay. So. I thought so. Yeah. Um, but, but it's extra bulky though, because it's extra big. 
but you get that bonus save, which bear in mind if you, if just in case for listeners who can't remember, dangerous train checks, you cannot take armor saves against anymore. Yep. So on the roll for one, when you're moving through that train, you take a wound unless you can make an invulnerable save. So the fact that that gives you that invulnerable save is huge. And also the fact you're moving at 14 gives you an additional um, bonus to your charge distance as well, doesn't it? Yep. So you can't charge further than 12 inches. You're still limited to that 12 inch charge distance, but you're extremely likely to make that distance. Yeah. Uh, essentially, you've, you can't fail a three inch charge. Four inch charge, actually. Well, you can't. I don't know how to do math. Yeah, you can't. Uh, can't, No, you can't fail a six. six No, I I think it's plus four to. I think I thought it was plus three. Well, let's go with so let's go for plus three. So you can't fail a five inch charge because a minimum you roll is two, and then you add that three to it. Yeah, I don't have my. Oh, maybe I do have my little like cheat sheet thing handy. Um, No, I don't know where it went. That sucks. Um, good thing it comes with two cheat sheets. <laughs> I think I might have left mine somewhere. But anyways, yeah, massive, massive jump pack uh, boost. And just saying, I don't see the Blood Angels with that. So maybe the Blood Angels ain't the jump pack, Legion. Maybe that's why I don't have any in my Blood Angels. <laughs> um, yeah, fight me. I'll die on that hill. Uh, yeah, so Corax, uh, Primark, um, as I oh, mentioned... So, no- Save a Primark to last. Okay, all right. We'll we, save we, him to we, last. We always do the Primarchs we, last. You have to. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So then, uh, we need, you... then, then we also need to to, to, to ask uh, wh- whether or not you think that your Primarchs can take our Primarchs. My dad could be your dad. Uh, maybe. Uh, I haven't, I haven't used him in this edition. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Derry just wins, wins by default. Yeah. Yeah, uh, especially if he goes like Horus Ascended yeah. or whatever it's called. Horus Ascended is the question. There is, no, 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 no. There is no other version. Yeah, um, uh, yeah that Brutal at Initiative is just like... Um, but uh, yeah, okay. So I'll, I'll save that for last. So we did have two characters that got um, PDFs in the Legacies. Uh, I, I think... What's his name? Uh, Alverix Mon is like kind of... Eh, I believe, um, but he always kind of was. Uh, he gives you like bonuses to your your drop. Um, cover him here quickly. Um, just looking him up in the legacies document because my browser closed, so that's fun. Block Taurus are really good, but I'm sure you guys are probably already talked about that. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, so I'll start with uh, Strike Captain Alverix Mon because I don't like him as much as Katie's next. <laughs> comes with a bolt pistol uh toledatus which is cool um uh, that means that he got like a slightly better power sword than he used to have but also it might be worse than a regular power sword uh he has artificer armor frag grenades crack grenades and a nightfall pattern stratavox which he always had uh, he's got master of the legion independent character he has his own warlord trait he's a unique character uh and he's weapon skill five ballistic skill five um wounds three initiative four so he's slower uh, than your Praetor or Centurion. He's got attacks three, leadership nine, and a two plus save. So it's kind of like, what the hell's going on with this guy? Um, but again, he's a Legacies PDF guy, so is what it is. Uh, dedicated transport, he can take a Storm Eagle or a Drop Pod as a dedicated transport option. 
His um, Warlord trait is coordinated planet strike. As long as strike Captain Alveric's Mon has not been removed as a casualty, the controlling player may reroll failed reserve rolls for any deep strike assault that strike Captain Alveric's Mon is a part of. In addition, an army with strike Captain Alveric's Mon as its Warlord may make an additional reaction during the movement phase as long as strike Captain Alveric's Mon is deployed on the battlefield has not been removed as a casualty. So he kind of has like a weaker version of the um, general Warlord trait that we already had. Uh, Toledatus is his sword, um, and uh, it was gifted to him by Primarch, Primarch Korax. So I don't know. I guess Korax didn't like him very much <laughs> because it's Korax doesn't like anyone in Legion. It's Kong, not as good as a Raven's Talon. <laughs> like, uh, so it's a power sword that's like strength user AP three, master crafted with breaching five plus. So it's shittier than a Raven's Talon. And I don't know, like a regular power sword is rending six plus, is it not? Does yeah, it's, not? it's basically the same as a lightning claw without the shred. Yeah, except this is only breaching. The other ones are rending. Yeah, so bre- breaching is not as good because yeah. <laughs> let, kind of, let, let's explain the difference. So rending um, is an auto wound at AP2. And if you're against a vehicle, you add D3 to the armor penetration. Breaching is only AP2. Yeah. So, yeah, Korax doesn't love him, does he? No. Uh, and then he has the Nightfall pattern Stratavox, which is present on the battle. If he is present on the battlefield and not embarked in a vehicle or building, the controlling player may reduce the distance of any scatter rolls made, um, whether as part of a weapon attack or the deployment of a model of enemy unit or a model or unit by five, as long as Strike Captain Elveric's mod is within 12 inches of the unit targeted by the attack or the point chosen as the target of deployment. In addition, Alveric's mod and any unity is joined ignores the minus one penalty to leadership imposed for night fighting. So yeah, 140 points for, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I probably wouldn't take him. Uh, especially cause like he's, he doesn't even really have that much in the lore. Like he hasn't showed up in any of the books, at least this next guy, Katie's next has. Katie's next is more expensive. He's 165 points, but has a three plus armor save. He is initiative five, but he's movement eight instead of seven. He's weapon skill five, ballistic skill six, uh, three attacks, leadership nine. He has two fulcrum hand cannons. Uh, he only has power armor and a refractor field, but he does have melta bombs and shroud bombs. So he counts as being six inches further away, which helps. He then has a whole novel worth of special rules, which is Raven Guard. Um, he gains the Falcon special rule, so he does not join the Talons, uh, even though he's on foot. So he can reroll ones to wound in any turn in which he's charged. Uh, he has independent character, the ill-omened, the blood crow, relentless stalker, stubborn, sudden strike one, rampage three, shrouded five plus, move through cover, and pathfinder. So this guy slaps and I'm really happy about it. Cause he's probably like my, one of my best converted and painted models uh, is my Katie's next. So fulcrum hand cannons. Uh, he has two fulcrum hand cannons and they count as auto weapons for any special rules that affect such weapons and possess multiple profiles. When making a shooting attack, the controlling player must select either pinpoint strike or empty the chambers and makes all attacks with both weapons using the same profile. In close assault, the point blank profile must be used instead. Note that in melee, Moritat Prime Katie's next fighting with his fulcrum hand cannons counts as having two weapons and gains the appropriate bonuses. So he's technically four attack space. 
Um, and I like this because he's Moritat Prime, but he's such a good Moritat that he doesn't have Chain Fire. And that's a good thing. We'll he talk doesn't about... have... Does he have Bitter Duty as well? Does he have what, sorry? Bitter, bitter, bitter Duty? No, he has Ill Omen to the Blood Crow and Relentless Stalker instead. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, whereas you kind of get all these restrictions uh, or cooldowns, I guess you could call them, with a Moritat for chain firing, he doesn't suffer the same way. So he's got two shot profiles with his Fulcrum hand cannons. The first is pinpoint strike. This is range 24 inches, strength six, AP two, pistol one, so you can shoot twice because he has two pistols, brutal two, concussive one, pinning and sniper. And then he has empty the chambers, which is 12 inches, strength six, AP four, pistol six, concussive one pinning so he can shoot 12 shots of this so if you really need to pin something good chance he's going to do it and then point blank is if he's in combat and it's melee brutal two precision strikes four plus and specialist weapon uh so he's he's pretty good um now you may be like well how do i get him into combat reliably well we'll get there uh the first is that he's ill omen so he can't be taken as the compulsory hq only as a non-comp hq and he can never be the army's warlord uh, and he may not join other units. This is where it's weird, other than except for Legion Seeker squads or more Dathan. So he can't actually join Destroyers. Um, but you can put him with a Seeker squad, or he'd be real deadly with more Dathan and up their survivability incredibly. However, I tend to run him by himself, which kind of fits his motif, uh, especially in the lore. And uh, we'll talk about that when we talk about Relentless Stalker. Um, so the Blood Crow, when Katie's next makes an attack as part of a shooting attack, the range of any weapons is not restricted or affected by the night fighting rules, shroud bombs, or any other special rule. In addition, Nex never suffers any penalty to his ballistic skill from night fighting or any other special rules. He always makes to hit rolls using his full ballistic skill, including snapshots, and no model may make shrouded rolls to negate wounds inflicted by his attacks. So this guy is like a premier killer. He's 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 the Astartes John Wick. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's pretty good. And considering he's in the Legacy's Doctrine awesome. as well, they, they've really done a good conversion job on him to version two, haven't they? Yeah, uh, he sucked in version one. I still ran him quite a bit, but like I never got to do anything with him. Um, but I just always thought he was such a cool character. Well... Um, Clearly, that, clearly someone at the design studio liked him as well yeah and felt the same way i felt about strike captain alverix mon um and the way korax apparently feels about him hey here's this like subpar shitty sword man like, i don't know get out get out on the front line i want you out front like uh anyways so relentless stalker is also really where he shines here so just like in version 1.0 um, where he could deploy anywhere on the battlefield and wasn't deploying as part of infiltrate or scout, he wasn't restricted by those same restrictions. And so that means he can charge first turn. And so when deploying Katie's next onto the battlefield at the start of the battle, the controlling player may place him in any position on the battlefield, as long as Katie's next is within area terrain, or at least nine inches from any enemy model if he is not within area terrain. So if you've got your warlord like sitting just outside of a building, you can put Katie's next one inch away from him inside the building. Uh, and then 
regardless of any line of sight of any mill models. So uh, nine inches if he's not within a building. If Mortap Prime Katie's next is deployed from reserve after the start of the first turn, then he may enter play from any point on the battlefield's edge chosen by the controlling player. If Mortak Katie's next joins a unit during deployment or while in reserves and is deployed as part of that unit, he may not use any of the benefits of this special rule, but instead gain scout and infiltrate. Uh, special rules only if the unit he has joined also possesses those special rules. Yeah, that, that's a standard proviso now on those two rules, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, but it certainly sounds like they've designed it to operate individually, doesn't it? That, yeah, you know, all, all of his rules are really leaning towards that. I'm going to sacrifice this one model to kill your warlord. Yeah, or if you're like me, you can run it to get rid of a sicker anarchist that probably give you some trouble. Yeah, yeah, he's there to take out a primary target, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, uh, or I mean, you can bring him in and or have him charge into something like right away and tie that so unit up. If you put him into decapitation strike, that means he also gains preferred enemy independent character. Uh, that's correct. Um, so if he's fighting against another independent character, or if he's shooting at a unit that has independent character, then uh, he will get preferred enemy independent character in decapitation strike because he still has the Legionis Astartes Raven Guard special rule. Nice. Yeah, and he rerolls uh, to wound rolls rolls of one in a turn in which he charges. So even if say you just throw him at a tactical squad, he's probably going to mulch that tactical squad like right away. He's certainly going to cause enough casualties to make life difficult, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, hundred cool. percent. So I really like bad, him. No, I'm I'm really happy about him because I I love to run him uh, anytime that I can. Uh, and like I said, he's probably one of my my favorite paint jobs. So he's the profile picture on Crescent Edge Studio right now, um, and he's uh, he's my cover photo on my Facebook, and uh, you can find him over at the the DAB podcast Instagram as well. If you're curious to look at him, uh, like I, I can't toot my own horn enough about him. Like I love that model and what I did with him. Um, so anyways, there are special rules, uh, sorry, special units. So I mentioned that Katie's next can go with one of two units, one being seeker squads. The other is more Dathan. I talked a little bit about them on the last episode because I played them in a game and these guys slap too. Um, so if you really wanted to up their deadliness, then yeah, throw Katie's next in a unit with them. Um, but they're already pretty deadly. They come base five, uh, they're movement seven, weapon skill four, ballistic skill five plus, uh, wounds two, and base two attacks with three on the shade, who's the sergeant, leadership eight, nine, and three plus save. So these are kind of your, well, these very much are your seeker veteran squads. Uh, and they've got a veteran profile to go with it. Um, I forgot they were wound too. So I was actually just kind of throwing these guys out like way more than I should have in the last game that I was playing. Um, but again, we were playing a big game and a little bit uh, left over. They do have infantry skirmish, which is nice because that's going to help protect them from blasts because they can be three inches apart instead of two. And they get a bonus to their cover save. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so power armor, uh, bolt pistol, chainsword, uh, sturdy shotgun, frag grenades, crack grenades, and shroud bombs is their standard war gear output. So pretty good, which means their base attacks three, and they have a chain sword, which is shred. Now that's kind of, um, I don't know. It's kind of weird because the, the unit itself, when you buy it, doesn't have chain swords and doesn't like have a nice place to put chain swords on them. And that's like destroyers. The destroyer models don't come with chain swords, yet they have that standard yeah. war gear. 
Yeah. Um, so it is what it is. You probably won't be WYSIWYG, but just try to remember that it's there and try to remember that the chainsword has shred. And then the shroud bombs make you six inches further away, which is nice. The rave, they have uh, Legionis Astartes Raven Guard. They have Scout, Fatal Strike Rule, which we'll talk about in a minute, but they have Relentless. So if you opt to give them Nemesis Bolters, they're running around with Nemesis Bolters and moving, uh, which is pretty handy. Uh, you can take up to five additional more Dathan for 25 points each. And they can, any model in the unit, this is where they really change from last edition, is any model in the unit can exchange its chainsword for one of the following. They can take a power weapon or a Chernabel saber. I take Chernabel sabers because then I can just imagine they have knives, like really good ones. Uh, it's expensive because it's 10 points each. But then if you do end up charged by, say, a Dreadnought, you've got rending five plus in combat. Yeah, and also don't forget, it's now charnable weapons, isn't it? So you do have the option of the axe version or the spear version. Uh, I think, does the spear version give um, sudden strike? Uh, It doesn't give reach, um, like I know the lance does. But just uh, looking them up. It does give duelist edge two. So you get a plus two initiative bonus in a duel. Um, but it uh, yeah. also, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, and plus one strength as well, because it's charnable glaive. That's why it's a glaive. It's not a spear. Right. Yeah, it's not a spear. Um, so uh, yeah, that's quite nice modern. I quite like the idea of the charnable tabber as well, which is an axe. So you could imagine that like a tomahawk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would look so, awesome. Like, oh, um, that's tempting. I've got a bunch of those old dwarf like hand axes that aren't in hands, like and have the full handle and everything that's really tempting yeah. to just slap those on some more data and in the last novel we were talking in um old earth there is a raven god that has a power axe yep a, a power tomahawk so that would so you get plus two strength breaching six duelist edge one that's pretty good yeah that's pretty cool uh might, might have to might have to do that one um which is nice it, it's that again is a, a big change from the last version of them um, because you couldn't change their weapons. And uh, I don't even think you could take a power sword on the Sergeant, this, the Mordathan Shade in first edition. No. And did you um, say they have shotguns as base? They come, yeah, so they come standard with a shotgun, which is actually, again, another difference that I kind of glossed over. Uh, the Mordathan in version one didn't come with a weapon and you couldn't run them with just the bolt pistol chainsword. You had to buy them a weapon. And so it was like Astartes pattern shotguns for one, like one point each, I think it was. Um, or you could give them sniper rifles, which is what the model from Forge World comes with. Or you could give them combi weapons. And so typically you'd give them a combi weapon because of the way Fatal Strike worked before, but also the way it works now, you'll still want to give them like a combi weapon. But shotguns are pretty good because they come with concuss- uh, concussion. Yeah, and so if you want like a if you want to go with a close combat Mordathan squad, then don't upgrade them with the don't upgrade them with the um the combi weapon. I would actually just use the shotguns with them, particularly if you want to use them as a close combat like hunter killer so unit. For people who aren't aware what concussion does in this in this edition, because obviously there's been a change. Um, if you take any wounds from a concussion hit. I believe it's wounds. I don't think it's just hits. I think it has to be a wound. You have to take a leadership check to that unit. And if you fail, your weapon skill is reduced by the number in brackets. So I think shotguns are a concussion one. So it reduces your weapon skill by one if you fail your leadership. Now, 
in version one, losing a, a point of weapon skill wasn't a major deal. In version two, difference in weapon skill make a huge impact on the game. And concussion will work for overwatch shots as well. Because you can't cause morale checks by a reaction, but you can cause other effects such as concussion, pinning, or blind. So if your more death and are charged, you can unleash a whole hail of um, concussion rounds going in. And then because you've got those charnable weapons that strike at a higher initiative, you could potentially wipe out or seriously injure that other enemy unit before they even had a chance to strike. Yeah. So what I would do if I was going to run these guys as a close combat hunter killer, um, instead of dumping all my points into being a shooting killing unit plus uh, the you know having the charnable weapons, which is what I I did because I only have the one. Um, but if you wanted them to be that way, uh, like a close combat hunter killer unit, I would infiltrate them. And then when somebody goes to shoot at them because they're scared of more Dathan, I would use your advanced reaction to move the initiative characteristic. And if you put Katie's next in there, congratulations, you're moving five inches. And then I would move to such a way that you're likely going to get charged so that you can overwatch, put the concussion on, and now your unit is basically weapon skill five with Katie's next in it. And you can have charnable tabars or power weapons. Yeah. And now you've really set a trap for people that are not going to expect to have that kind of a, a fight. Shooting-wise, though, if you want to make them more shooty, uh, you can exchange its Astarte shotgun for one of the following, a Nemesis Bolter for five points. Pretty good, especially with Relentless. Magna Combi weapons for 10 points. Um, I use my Magna Combi weapons on my Seekers, not on my Mordathan. Uh, and then the Minor Combi weapons for five points. And um, I used to use combi flamers, but about halfway through, uh, well, probably about a year and a half ago, I switched them out for combi volkites, which just happened to be like the creme de la creme for these guys in this edition. So pretty nice. Um, but for every three models in the unit, one model may also change its Astartes pattern shotgun for one of the following. A volkite charger for five points. Just make it a minor combi weapon. Um, flamer for five points. Same sort of thing. If you were going to do that, make it a minor combi weapon. A melta gun for 15 points, a plasma gun for 10, a plasma pistol for 10, or a missile launcher with frag and crack missiles, which is pretty good with relentless. And the more Dathan shade may take a melta bomb, but I don't think I would. And he may take power armor. Uh, sorry, he may exchange his power armor for artificer armor for 10 points. Fatal strike is where these guys really shine. Uh, it's their special rule. And uh, a play um, a unit that includes any models with this special rule may declare a fatal strike at the start of any controlling player's shooting phases for the duration of that phase. All shooting attacks of all models in the unit with the fatal strike special rule gain the rending four plus. In addition to any other effects their weapons might have, this does not replace or improve any other versions of rending uh, they already possess by the unit and may not be used when attacking with weapons that have either the template or the blast X special rule. So. I mentioned combi volkites. You still get to keep your deflagrate. The rending does not transfer to the deflagrate, but you can shoot with both profiles on your gun. So a full unit of 10 with combi volkites is pumping out 40 shots with rending four plus. That will largely deal with a Margol Dreadnought if you're scared. It also probably help you with a Leviathan. So but, it'll, but with the combat shotguns as well, with the shonkush, with the shotguns, that will also set up quite an awesome charge as well because the amount of AP2 rounds you're going to get going through, which will then trigger concussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, you're still going to shoot a... 20 shots with a rending 4+. plus. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you can intimidate Terminators with that. Yep. 
yeah, so extremely versatile unit, very fluffy. I like it a lot. Um, it's a good thing there isn't like uh, a right of war that lets you take them because that would be kind of OP, but I really like this unit. I've always liked the unit. It's always kind of been a staple in a Raven Guard army. It's handy. Um, the Dark Fury squad, however, used to, holy God, suck terribly because uh, <laughs> you could never, they couldn't shoot. They have no guns. Uh, you can throw one crack grenade out of them in the old edition. Uh, before, if you deep struck them, they would get a five plus cover save. Not great. Uh, you could just never get them into close combat because everyone knew how horrible they were once they were in close combat. So like in the first couple years I was playing, I always took Dark Furies and I got them into combat like once, maybe twice. Um so I, I kind of shelved them because they were expensive and they're still expensive. But now with the changes to deep strike, they're actually really effective, especially if you pair it with decapitation strike because they get a shrouded five plus. So they, and um, they're 150 points base uh, with four dark furies and one chooser of the slain. So that's kind of your sergeant. They're veterans. So they're two wounds. Their weapon skill four uh, across the board, initiative four, two attacks. So they're four attacks base because they have two Raven's talents. Leadership eight, power armor, but the chooser of the slain is weapon skill five and has artificer armor as a base. He also has three attacks, so he's base attacks five with those Raven's talents. So we already covered Raven's talents. We also covered Corvid pattern jump packs and how good those are. Whole unit comes with these base. So they're 14 inches and have a four plus invulnerable save against um, difficult terrain. They also have sudden strike one. So if you charge them into combat, they're initiative five. They have precision strike six plus, and then they're re-rolling to wounds on the turn in which they charge, re-roll uh, to wound rolls of one, but they have shred, so kind of redundant. You can take up to an additional five dark furies for 25 points each, which is pretty good. I would definitely do that now. And if you have a Dark Fury squad that includes nine Dark Furies, then you may up uh, you may upgrade up to two of those models to Choosers of the Slain for 15 points per model. So you can have three Choosers of the Slain in a 10-man squad. So you can take three Sergeants in your 10-man squad, which is also going to help you out with leadership because they're leadership nine. It's going to put some more artificer armor in the unit and more attacks and more weapon skills. And the Choosers of the Slain can take Melta Bombs, but don't bother. Um, because you don't want these guys like going up against a vehicle. And if you do, they already have rending five plus. So just use that. Well, these guys yeah. are deadly. Brutal. Don't think of these guys. <laughs> so good. You can take three sergeants. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, I didn't and notice that at all. Yeah. And it's, uh, that includes nine dark furious. So if your rules is written guy, you might be like, Oh, well, if you take 10, uh, then you can't do that. Oh, Whatever. If you take 10, I'm not going to be like, hey, man, remove one of those guys. You can't have three choosers of slain. I'm fine with it. Uh, I think I think clearly the intent is that it includes at least nine. You can upgrade two of them. Uh, but if you kept it just at nine, which would free up some points, I guess, then you would have uh, basically it'd be like three little pockets. So it'd be like a chooser of the slain and then his two like wingmen behind him. I like that. That's yeah. So cool. Yeah, so these guys are finally useful. Um, I'm working on Blood Angels right now, or I'd be building up some re like the rest of these guys to help buff up my um, my jump list. 
Uh, and then Gareth Arendi would be rocking around with these guys. He wouldn't be bumming it with uh, assault squads anymore. So last but not least, because we're getting long in the tooth on this segment, I think, uh, Corvus Corax, 440 points, Master of the Raven Guard, the Liberator, the Chooser of the Slain, the Shadowed Lord. Wait, He's who mo- chooses the Slain? Is it the Choosers of the Slain or is is does uh, does uh, does uh, Corax choose the Slain? Uh, he chooses it the seems- choosers of the slain who choose who gets slain. Oh, that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's movement eight, weapon skill seven. Uh, so he, he had a decrease in his weapon skill. He's ballistic skill six. He's strength six, toughness six, wound six, initiative seven. So he's one of the faster guys. Uh, attack seven, leadership 10, save two plus. He's got uh, the sable armor for war gear, the panoply of the Raven Lord. The Corvidine Pinions, Wrath and Justice, and Frag Grenades. So the Panoply of the Raven Lord is his um, weapon, like his close combat weapon, so his claws and his whip. And the Corvidine Pinions uh, are is his jump pack, and Wrath and Justice is uh, his uh, dual pistols. And so he has a warlord trait, which is sire of the Raven Guard. If chosen as the army's warlord, he automatically has the sire of the warlord, sire of the Raven Guard warlord trait. All models with the Legionis Astartes Raven Guard special rule and either the infantry or cavalry unit types in the same army as Corvus Corax gain the scout and crusader special rules. In addition, an army with Corvus Corax gains an additional reaction in the opposing player's movement phase as long as he's not been removed as a casualty. Uh, so pretty good. Crusader is going to help out, um, particularly if you're going with a jump heavy list because you're trying to get into assault quite a bit. The Sable Armor provides a two plus armor save and a four plus invulnerable save. Finally, because he was the only Primarch with a five plus invulnerable save all the time uh, and grants the Shrouded four plus special rule. So he's very survivable now, uh, which yeah, is good. That, that, that makes a big difference, actually, because... Unless you can ignore shrouding, effectively that's another invulnerable save, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And uh, this, this, the shrouded four plus kind of replaces the rule that he had in the first, um, in first edition, which was unless he had joined a unit, or he was the closest enemy unit, or that enemy unit had the primarch, demon, or psyker special rule, then you could only fire snapshots at Corvus Corax. And so he's lost that, which is nice because now he can effectively join units. So I'm not saying maybe put this guy with Dark Furies, but maybe put this guy with Dark Furies. Um, and uh, he's going to be hella survivable. But it, um, what it also does, it makes more survivable in Primark level fights, so whether that's against a traitor Primark or against a demon or some of the bigger automata for example, or, or knights is another um, consideration to put in there. It just gives them that extra edge of survival, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Does Shrouded work in close combat? No. I no. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got <laughs> very against, excited. Yeah, but Primarchs primar have, have a lot of firepower, though. Yeah, they do. Like, Pretty Robo is yeah. a good amount of firepower. You want that Shrouded. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and since you'd have to be at least strength 12 to get, the, to get through the Shrouded threshold you're probably going to be okay. Um, so yeah, he's going to like, he's going to have a four plus and then a four plus against like a night shot. Uh, so the shadowed Lord, if Korax chooses to use the hit and run special rule, uh, cause I skipped over his special rule section. He has hit and run by the way. And the shadowed Lord, um, 
If he chooses to use the hit and run special rule, the controlling player rolls an additional dice when determining the distance moved and discards any one dice of that player's choice before determining the final result. So again, he really knows where he wants to go and how he wants to get there because we're better at jump packs than Blood Angels. Uh, in addition, the controlling player may reroll all failed shrouded rolls of one made for Korak, Corvus Korax and all models in any unit he has joined after using the hit and run special rule to remove Corvus Korax from an ongoing combat. This effect continues until the start of the controlling player's next turn. So you can land, jump into, say, a Primarch and his bodyguard with a bunch of Dark Furies, uh, which have shrouded five plus for that first turn and then chop them up a whole bunch, and then kick away, and now you can reroll your ones for Shrouded. So you're <laughs> extra survivable. That's fucking brutal. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So the Panoply of the Raven Lord. Uh, so uh, this is Strength User, which is six, AP2, Melee, Shred, Blind, Fighting Style, Two-Handed. So Fighting Style, at the beginning of each Assault Phase, the controlling player may choose one of the following special rules to apply to his attacks based upon the weapons and fighting style he's employing. So you can choose from Murderous Strike 4 Plus, Rage 4, or Sudden Strike 3. So he can hit at initiative 10 on a turn which charges. Rage yeah. 4, that's huge. Yeah. So on the turn he charges, he can gain four additional attacks. Yeah. So he can have 12 attacks on the charge if he's outnumbered. No, Rage is... Or, sorry, I'm thinking rampage, rampage, sorry. Yeah, yeah Rage sorry. is just when you charge in, isn't it? Yeah, so you can give him 12 attacks on the charge plus your Hammer of Wrath. <laughs> Pretty good. Or, murder, or, or Murderous Strike, if you're going against things like Automator or Dreadnoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll do it, won't it? Yeah, and then you're still 8 attacks on the charge. Yeah. So you're pro you'll probably kill a Dreadnought if you run him in there. Um. And he'll strike before that dreadnought. So nice Leviathan, bro. <laughs> um, anyway, Wrath and Justice. So these are his pistols. Uh, they both count as auto and Volkite weapon with identical profiles. So that changed because before they were, ju he just had twin um, Archaeotech pistols. So now they're range 12 inches, strength six, AP four, pistol one. So you get two of these shots with rending three plus, deflagrate and mastercrafted. That's so good. It's so awesome. Yeah, pretty good. Um, I used the I I used his pistols one time uh, in first edition to just kite Angron because they were strength six AP three, and I just kept like jumping outside of Angron's charge range and just kept shooting at him until eventually I killed him. <laughs> and that's how you that's how you win that fight against Angron with Korax is just shoot at him and keep dancing away from him, and then if he does get into close combat and you're still alive hit and run and yeah. then shoot at him again just wait till angron has wings yeah that'll be no it'd be so funny then is it no <laughs> so the corvidine pinions at the start of the player's movement phase or when deployed as part of a deep strike assault his movement characteristic may be set to a value of 14 so it's essentially a, a corvid pattern jump pack this allows him to move 14 inches regardless of the movement characteristic and gain any benefits of a movement characteristic of 14, including the most charge distance. In addition, Corvus Corax may move over impassable terrain, vertical terrain, or friendly and enemy models or units without penalty on any turn in which the Corvidine pinions have been activated, but may not end its movement in impassable terrain or within one inch of any model from a unit, from a unit Corvus Corax is not a part of. 
if Corvus Corax ends or begins his movement or a charge in dangerous terrain during a turn in which the Corvidine pinions have been activated, he automatically passes any dangerous terrain test he is called upon to make. He may still run on a turn in which these uh, pinions have been activated, and when making a run move after having activated the Corvidine pinions, add Corax's initiative characteristic to 14 to determine how far he may move, ignoring terrain and other models while making a run move with the Corvidine pinions activated as noted above but may not make shooting attacks or declare a charge in the same turn in which Corvus Corax has run as per the normal rules for running. The pinions may not be activated to gain any bonus to his movement characteristic during a reaction. So he is considerably better than he used to be, and he wasn't that bad before because I almost killed Magnus in a challenge with him in first edition, uh, and that was because of his fighting styles. Does he have his heavy bolter? Uh, so no, there is not the yeah, alternates, um, which is too bad. Cause I bought a second Corvus Corax to turn into the deadly prey version. Um, and, uh, I'll still do it, but he doesn't have rules for it anymore. So again, Darren, this comes back to your point. This is very much built. All of Horus heresy 2.0 feels like it takes place post Istvan five. Yeah. It More very importantly, much- there was never a, uh, Istvan a five survivor uh, uh, Korax kit. That's right. Um, and that's because his pinions actually get repaired after that. And they don't get messed up again until you And I do, I do remember, I've seen one person actually run uh, Isvan five um, uh, Korax at Adepticon. Uh, I don't remember who it was. If it was you, if you're listening to this right now, if it was you, please uh, throw a picture uh, on uh, in the comments because uh, that was an amazing, amazing conversion and a great army. Is that the one where his hair is slicked back? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a pretty awesome one. Uh, I was going to copy that actually. And then I saw somebody had done like some fan art of uh, Vulcan and Korax. And it's supposed to be like um, sort of later heresy, I think. Uh, and they put Korax with a beard. And I was like, oh shit, this looks awesome. So I was actually going to huh. like, and then it made his bangs not look so stupid. Um, <laughs> Cause it just made like his hair look overgrown. Right. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do that instead. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know exactly what conversion you're talking about. And that guy, but did it was a such a cool job. option to have, but again, not a lot of people did it and there's yeah. the model for it and nothing that didn't have a model made its way into the main books for v2 unless you're uh exodus unless you're exodus but exodus can be anybody that's right because he's the one of many (laughs) uh yeah uh that that i mean uh, we don't need to get into it really but that that was something that kind of bummed me like just because there's not a model like don't get rid of the guy um it's not it's not in the uh in the pdf is it no no Uh, because tremantor was yeah, because I yeah. complained when we talked. I complained. I mentioned uh, when we no, talked you, about you the complained. Ireland. No, no, you Okay, complained. fine. I complained. I complained that <laughs> you lamented. I lamented that in the new rules, Tormentor wasn't there in Perturabo's, uh rules. But no, they they put it back in. The uh, you reflected they, the character of your legion. Could it be that like is this the only model? Uh, in the first edition that didn't make its way to the second edition in, in that legacy PDF. Can you think of another one? Oh, that didn't have a model that's that, that didn't make it into the legacy PDF. Everything else did. 
Mm. I, I wonder if he's uh, possessed Primark. And... Did did Dorn get to keep his pimped out Thunderhawk? Ooh, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I think Viatius Deus is in it. All right. Uh, oh, here's the Imperial Fist. Let me check. They got Fafnir Rand though, because he's juicy and cool. No, Viatius Deus is in the uh, legacy document. It's not in the main book. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's but, definitely not in the main book. But but heavy bolter Korax is not. Yeah, it's too bad because it was a. Uh, That's so lame. It was a cool but, thing. Like you could really play like him getting hunted around his fan. I wonder if we may in the future get an Isfan 5 campaign book, which will allow those kind of options to come in. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, it could. If the design team goes in, uh, in a similar direction as Titanicus, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, yeah, it, it, like having the campaign books, like Moloch and Beta Garmin and all that stuff. If you do an Isfan 5, it's be an obvious one to do. Yeah. yeah. I think overall, um, Korax is a solid prime mark, isn't he? Yeah. He doesn't yeah. have any obvious glaring weaknesses and he's, he's clearly got some strengths he's he's a good one how many points was he 440 yeah it's about average for a pride mark then isn't yeah. it so yeah. he's he's cheaper than Horus, understandably how does he compare to Perturabi? Uh i don't know i don't i don't have the trader book with me um, um i think I that hit and run makes such a difference because one of perturabo's huge advantages is that he can concuss you uh, because of using Forge Breaker and the fact that you can get out of that combat and not have initiative one in the next round and charge back in uh, makes just a lot of difference. Yeah, um, he's more expensive than Pertrabi. Yeah, but not by that much. He's, he's only, by only like, what, 15 points? Pertrabi's 425. Yeah, yeah. yeah gives a lot more like army buff though. Um, not that much. Not anymore. Oh, no? Okay. No, no, no there's I, been a huge. No. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the Primarchs don't give as much army buff as they used to. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I would have liked Korax to have kept weapon skill eight, um, because like I, even through the lore, he's very much considered one of the premier fighters in the Primarchs. Yeah, and I mean that's still evidenced by the fact that he has fighting styles. So if he's so proficient that he can change his fighting style, his weapon skill should still be eight. He has so many attacks though. Like Pruravo at the most is going to get seven uh, if he charges. And you're he, he does have a seven. lot of attacks. Yeah. You use the rage, you can get up to 10, 10 attacks. But ah, still, just... I mean, you run them against like you run them up against any of the trader primarchs that are weapon skill eight. And now he's only hitting them on five plus. I'd be I'd be interested to know how he sex against Kurs, because in the law, those mm. two are always being very closely matched, haven't they? Yeah. A Kurs stayed at weapon skill eight, didn't he? I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to double check from Bert. Who yeah. has the book? Yeah, <laughs> um, Craig. <laughs> um, he would. He would certainly own Logar. Certainly, the non-buffed Logar, which, yeah. which fits with the law as well, because we know on his fan five, they get into a little fight, and it's only Curse has to Curse save him. Yeah, Curse, Curse has to save in. his ass. Oh, that's one of the best moments of the whole heresy when Curse has to save. Uh, Lorgar and then just looks at Lorgar and just like Jesus Christ, you're such a loser. Yeah, yeah. Next time I'm gonna oh, let him do it. <laughs> yeah, you wiener. <laughs> like, um, but Lorgar shit together, brother. What the fuck? <laughs> Lorgar is only weapon skill six, so most praetors can fight him on an even keel. Yeah, but, but he can't cast invisibility fun, so. on himself anymore. He hasn't been able to do that for in a long time. No, no, not not since the Red Book update. Yeah. Um, 
Lorgar's not a fighter. But overall, it sounds like the Raven Guard have had some real solid upgrades, don't they? They, they sound like they've come into version two much better than they were in version one. They sound a lot more solid, Legion. I think what you were saying earlier about it's the combinations and how they synergize together fits a lot better. But yeah. I think, like, like we mentioned throughout, they certainly feel like the post-Istban Legion as opposed to the Great Crusade. Yeah, very much so. And and I think that's very evident just even in the, the writing of the rules by breaking it into the Talons, Hawks, and Falcons. Like, um, uh, Korax didn't do that until after he started rebuilding on Deliverance. Yeah. And he reorganized everything into those categories. And so because he was so small, he was often operating with the entirety of his force at once. Like, there, the, he would send salt, small splinters out like there's a couple short stories about the um, the raptors, like small contingents of raptors going out to execute small missions and then coming back. And space wolves. They execute space wolves as well. Yeah, they do execute space wolves as well. Um, definitely bring me back for that one if you haven't covered it already. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that one's a good one. It's called Raptor, if anyone's curious. Yeah, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good short story, that one. Yeah, yeah. It is in the Korax compendium as well, but... Um, that 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 one's a, a good one uh and um but again Nick, he, he almost kind of organized himself into like the way that the blood angels are organized because they have the spheres and then the spheres are they pull contingents from the spheres into hosts and so he kind of does the same thing and takes the right tool for the right job and mix it so it's kind of like a weird sort of combined arms is how the raven guard fight throughout the heresy and that's very much how we see here. And towards the end, because the more Dathan get used heavily for infiltration missions and uh, setting setting the stage for like that lightning attack from the jump Marines, uh, they they eventually get down. Like I think when they finally get to Yarent, there's like one more Dathan left. Um, and then in like in 40k, they're like these things don't exist anymore. Like we knew about them, but I know we're bleeding into 40k lore a little bit. There's a uh, I think it's audio dramas. You can download them on Audible because um, there's not tons and tons of Raven Guard books out there right now. So I did download them, but I think there's like four or five that have like started to emerge again with the Mordathan gene. Because uh, for those who don't know, the Mordathan, the reason why they're extra special, so it's kind of weird that they don't come with like a base better shrouded, is they have the same latent psychic ability that Korax has to make themselves invisible. Um, and so that's why they came with camo cloaks and had Camellia line. Well, actually they didn't have Camellia line. They had shrouded in first edition, which they lost in this edition, uh, but they're supposed to have like a little bit extra of Korax. So they were the ones that typically always had the whiter skin and the blacker eyes, because that wasn't really a trait that happened too often until they kind of got long in the tooth Um or if they slid a little bit into uh, their despondency, um, which doesn't get talked about really in the lore, except in the, the Korax Primark novel, which is kind of like a version of the, the Black Rage. I like them. I'm happy with them. I just need a break from painting black after painting all those Raven Guard and then painting all those Ashen Claws. So I'm working on Blood Angels right now, but I'm very excited about where they've been and I've enjoyed playing them uh, in the couple games that I've had in 2.0 so far. Excellent. So that was the, uh, I guess the second or third of our um, 
Legion discussions, uh, trying to get in the nitty gritty of what has changed in the new edition and uh, how you can enjoy your Legions even more. And we'll be right back for Tales of Heresy. As the warp storms calmed further, more ships came to Terra. Some came to lend their strength to a final defense. Many came half expecting the throne world to have fallen and to find themselves in a battle for their lives. The celebrations they held when they discovered the situation was otherwise were muted, for the actual state of the galaxy was little better than the worst of their fears. All of them brought stories of terrible trips through the warp, of men lost in madness and ships clawed from the Imperium by nightmarish horrors. Still they came. 10,000 ships crammed the higher orbits, hundreds of collegiate Titanica coffin ships and all their vessels of support waited at the uppermost anchors. Their numbers were exceeded by Imperial Army bulk carriers, many hurrying in from the Galactic West and those parts of the Imperium that had been spared the worst of the fight. Regiments from systems thousands of light years from traitor atrocity waited alongside the battered remnants of routed forces. Every day saw dozens more vessels coming in to Terra. If they expected refuge and peace, they were disappointed. At the behest of the Solar Marshals, they were ordered to make ready for war again. Legion ships of the 7th, 9th, and 5th resupplied in anticipation of the coming battle. They were given priority at the great docks around Terra, Jupiter, Saturn, and Luna. Bereft of Mars's industrial might, Terra struggled to meet their demands. The vessels and their armies were ordered to make sail for this battle or that holdfast, hoping for resupply en route. Most were ordered to Beta Garmin. Though many times greater than the expedition fleets, the Beta Garmin Armada was a ragged memory of the indomitable Principia Imperialis that had cleansed the stars during the early stages of the Great Crusade. Only two centuries had passed since those days. Already, they seemed unimaginably distant. If there was any comfort to be had, it came from the knowledge that the gathering at Terra was but a foretaste of the great muster Lord Dorn had planned at Beta Garmin. The generals and admirals focused their efforts on taking and reinforcing the contested system. Never mind that rumors of the War Master's victories had them doubting their chance of success. Never mind that, should Beta Garment fall, the way to terror would be open. There was no space for fear. Extinction was the only alternative to victory. The cessation of the rune storm should have brought hope, but it fired a feverish preparation for the worst. Every man in the system, from the lowest menial to the Primarchs themselves, knew that the final days of the war were coming. Soon, the most terrible conflict mankind had ever fought would be won or lost. Through the shoaling press of ships around Terra, mighty predators sailed. Their steel-gray livery, adorned with snarling wolf heads, their decoration was simultaneously intricate and primitive. The ships of the space was slunk obliquely away from the main martial nexuses. The capital ships, the Neat Holger, Fenri Zavar and Russ Vangon were the core of the fleet, the Alpha Mothers and Fathers of the Pack. Around them sailed a few dozen lesser ships, ranging in size from grand cruisers to small, swift torpedo boats. Then there was the Hrafinkel, Lehman Russ's grand flagship. The others were the lords of the Star Packs. Hrafinkel was their god. Battered great cliffs of plasteel slid past the other vessels with the stately presence of an iceberg afloat on Terra's prehistoric oceans. Once the possessor of a whole lesser fleet's worth of firepower, the injured wolf had had many of its teeth pulled. Gaping holes marked every surface. Where its gray livery was not scarred black, it was pocked with damage not a hundred years of dry dock could erase. Wounds that deep should have seen it retired from frontline duties, but it moved away from the safety of high anchor, its prow intent on plowing fields of stars again. The Hruffinkel and its mates moved like wolves through herds gathering after a hard winter. They were battered by their experiences, but alive. 
they're packed coherent and still dangerous despite their injuries. Astropathic messages radiated out from the throne wall by the thousand. Broadcast spires made silent by the runestorm sang again. So many went uncertainly, flung out to worlds that may not exist anymore. No messages came from Lemur Russ as he withdrew his legion. 40,000 space wolves left the solar system. All that were left in all the Imperium. Crossbow had been a great many. Alaxis took thousands to the grasp Morkai's jaws. More had bled into the unforgiving earth of Vanaheim, or floated frozen in their battlesuits amid the voidal wreckage zones of Deverant. The Sixth were a diminished force in every way, even though they remained potent enough to turn the tide of any battle. Dort had made no secret that he would prefer that battle to be at Beta Garmin. The Praetorian's last orders to the wolf had turned to please. All went unanswered. Bypassing the Martian blockade, the fleet of the route flew with all engines burning to the edge of the solar system and to the jump point there. Alright, welcome to Tales of Heresy. Today's Tale of Heresy is the first part of a new series. Uh, we will be discussing Wolfsbane by Guy Haley. Um, now, we've been we've been wanting to do this one for a while. Um, unfortunately, Miles can be here because this is like one of his favorite books. Again, too yeah, busy being a father. Yeah, yeah. He's Miles is obviously still busy. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back with us soon. But we're jumping in on this one anyway, aren't we? So, oh yeah, and it, we can't wait. It, it's an interesting one. This one. Um, I'm conflict. I'm I'm really conflicted with this story. I'm going to be upfront and honest. Interesting. Now. Okay. Yeah, I'm really conflicted. Two thirds of a book. I thoroughly enjoy. I think two, the way they do two thirds of a book is fantastic, and it brings out a lot about the Sixth Legion. Uh, brings in the interactions with the Sixteenth, gives us a bit more of how, because you know, we've said before in the Heresy series, you don't actually see the Sons of Horus very often. Mm. And in fact, up to yeah. this point, the last time we'd seen them was Vengeful Spirit. Yeah, that's rough. That's a long time. That it had been a long time. So it's really good in this in this novel where we actually then get to see a late war Sons of Horus force. We get to see how far that Legion has gone down the path of glory, shall we say. Um, but Wait, before we uh, go into f- uh, any further, though, um, do you have an efficient synopsis to suggest? Oh, for part one? Yeah. Um, I got I got, I got, one. I got oh, one. Go, you, go, go for yours. Go for yours. Did you like the first third of Deathfire? Because here's the first third of Deathfire again. Okay, so what I was going to go with is, you can't escape fate. Oh, that's well, that's better, obviously, because it's not glib. But I like that. That's actually really good. Yeah, because fate has a big theme in this story, doesn't it? Throughout, throughout, yeah, all this novel, for the two main story arcs, and that's something we'll come back to in a moment. There's a big emphasis on the role of fate and expectation. Um, but as I was saying. Two thirds of a book I love. The middle third, set on Fenris, like I'm going to be upfront and open about this now. So I'm I'm waiting for the criticisms to come rolling in. I absolutely detest it. Really? Yeah. Detested. Detest it. On the second time of reading, if we if I if we weren't doing this discussion on this show, I would have skipped the middle third. Interesting. Well, I I look yeah. forward to but chatting we'll... about uh, why precisely. Um... But we'll be doing that in the next episode. Yeah, that's that's uh, the next episode. So spoiler so warning for the one. next episode. Yeah, Darren this doesn't like what we'll be talking about. So, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. But we'll we'll get into that. So 
Yeah, this, like we mentioned a few moments ago, unlike most heresy stories, there's actually only two story arcs in this one, isn't there? Yeah, it's 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 very efficient with uh, with the story arcs. Yeah, so you have uh, the first one, which is the main story. Uh, the A story is Aleman Russ going off um, to to try to kill his brother, knowing the whole time, and this is one of the things that we're going to be developing, um, knowing the whole time that he's probably going to lose. Um, it's sort of the uh, you know the the the, the impossible task, the uh, you know the death ride, right? He's like death riding out. This is what it's, I was born to do. Um, it's more like the hero's journey. It's more like Theseus and the Minotaur going to going to the labyrinth. He yeah. has this monster to slay, but he knows he can't. Is unlikely to survive it. It's it's very like we also saw in Deathfire and Salamander's Ark. There's a lot of traditional narratives thrown into. Oh, this absolutely. Um, specifically, a lot of Northern European traditional narratives as well so that would be, um, the, uh, be... The, i guess the a storyline i think uh, yeah i think you would agree um yeah. and then there's uh there's a b story with uh, uh what is it a Belisarius 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 yeah. yeah now at the time I do you remember when this came out and the uproar that was caused by having this character in this novel i do not remember the uproar no so Belisarius Cool had only just recently been introduced into the 40k universe. Uh, as this came out in 2018. Much. Yeah, yeah. Um, which isn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things. But at the time in the 40k universe, he had very much been brought in as a deus ex machina. So he was being introduced. He had brought in the Primaris project. He was reintroduced in all these forms of technology. And he was very much... In a lot of people's minds, a Mary Sue character. He he couldn't do any wrong, and he brought in all of this new technology to the Imperium, which for traditional players and long-term players went very much against the setting. The, you know, a long-standing thing since Rogue Trader is the Imperium is in a period of stagnancy. It's not developing new technology. It barely understands the technology it's got. And then along comes this Magos from nowhere, and he brings in a whole load more stuff. This novel, by introducing Call into the heresy setting, was it, it came across very much at a time as justifying the way Call is in 40k. Um, and what's interesting is Guy Halley has laid, done a later Belisarius Call novel set in the um, 40k universe, actually set on Sotha, where the Pharos is, which also fills in some gaps and plugs some gaps about what he was up to and how he was doing it. So that's quite an interesting novel to look at. I'll forget the name of it in a moment. I'll see if I can look it up in a moment. But what Cole's character does in Wolfsbane is it goes some way to explain how he is in 40k. And at the time, and I think it's important we recognise this, because now looking back on the novel, he's just an interesting Magos character or upcoming Mechanicum character. At the time the book came out, there was it, it kind of gave the impression of a lot of firefighting, of explaining and backfilling the story to a character that had been yeah, it, it's called prequelitis. It's prequelitis is the idea that every everybody needs a backstory, everything needs to be explained. So if you're gonna do a prequel, you have to explain like how did Han get his blasters? Like I never wondered that. 
Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was never one of those things. Oh man, I wonder. I hope they make a movie about a hung on his blaster. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand what you mean, but um, I, I still thought because I don't know much about the uh, the forty k uh, lore very much. I know this is a forty k character, but so I don't really know anything about him besides the fact that he introduced the Primaris Marines. I don't know. I rather I, ra- I rather enjoyed the um, how how it shows a little bit of the the different strands of thought within the uh, Mechanicum and sort of the schisms within the the, the Mechanicum. But but, but but we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think do we, wait, do, do we get that out of the way, or do we? Uh, what do we do? Do we do the dessert first, or the or, or the filling meal? I I think we do deal with cool first because I think although we've said that there are these two storylines, probably the cool storyline, if you were to put it together, would only be something like maybe twenty five percent of the book. Oh, maximum. maximum. Yeah, it's it's not a particularly big storyline. Um. The book very much focuses on Russ and the Battle of Trisolian because that is the end battle where we lead to. Um, and the core storyline is just kind of explores a bit about the Mechanicum, but also realistically, it's put in a background to Belisarius' core character. But we're going to focus on him as he appears in this novel. We're not going to link anything forward to the future. I think that's the best way for us to deal with it. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, so let's deal with cool. Let's deal with cool. Let's get this out of the way, and then we can go to the A storyline. Yeah, I, I, and I, I, and I don't want to be flippant. I don't think I think the cool, uh, the 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 cool storyline is actually interesting. But I mean, it's not the A storyline. There's no question about that. Come on. Oh, absolutely um, not. So, um, so we find his tech priest. Uh, um, I guess he's on. Uh, he, well, he's on Bespin, right? He's pretty much on Bespin. Yes. Yeah, so the Trisolian system which is where Call is based and where the eventual battle will take place, is a really interesting system because it's a triple star, isn't it? Yep. And on the and, particular planet that 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 they're on, they're, they're mainly doing cloud mining. Yeah, because because of the triple suns, they've got all these really rare materials and resources mm-hmm. in that area. So Trisolian itself is a very minor system. They, and they keep pointing this out. It's very much out of the way. But it's important and it has actually the level of the forge world it's been given the grade of forge world because if it's mining operations like you say it's like best bin it's off the main route but it's important and people know yep. about it um and cole is really minor at this stage isn't he he's a very very low level character he's not even a magos like you say he's a tech priest yeah and um at the very beginning he's uh um, I, I i guess he's he has like lunch dates with uh with a friend Who's not a very good tech priest? Uh, it's mentioned. Cole doesn't have a lot of augment, uh, augmentics, at least not any physical augmentics. That is to say, like visible augmentics. Uh, yeah, and, and they really stress that, don't they? Yeah. They really stress the fact that he's keeping his human form, that he seems to be leaning more towards biological tech or improving the, oh, the natural body as opposed to going full augmentic. Yeah, exactly. And it fits into what we know from his character from 40K, uh, even what little I know about him, that, you know, he's... uh, He he even describes that he's more interested in in Astartes uh, than in, you know, cybernetics or whatever. Um, Because what could be greater technology than that? What could be a greater technology than millions of years of evolution? How about we improve that instead of, you you know, connecting more, you know, machinery... Uh, yeah. to it uh the human form uh, i i guess he would yeah he'd be described as like a magos biologist yes but what's also 
very different about him compared to most of the other tech priests is he's been moving around all the different orders of a mechanicum to get as much knowledge as possible. So yeah. one of the things he always stresses in his conversations with on his, on his lunch dates is his worship of the Omnissiah is about collecting as much knowledge as possible. And this is where we get our first insight into the mechanicum, isn't it? Because it suggests that once you've spent a certain amount of time in a ordo of mechanicum, you're expected to increase your level and then specialise in that ordo. Yeah. I, I suppose it's a bit like, you know... It's like academia. It's you like described it, academia. It, yeah, absolutely, isn't it? It's just like the first... You, you latch onto a specialist subject and then you just develop that one little niche subject into its very narrow, finite end. When yeah, John, you Ralston's... know anything about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. John Ralstonstall, um, uh, John Ralstonstall uh, is a Canadian philosopher. He once described academia as life in a box because everybody lives in a box of expertise. Like within those four walls, uh, within the box, you have power because of your expertise. But no, everybody is afraid of, uh, of leaving their box because they're no longer... Uh, in that box of expertise, right? They're not. They're not going to safely the safety of the. They don't have the power of of being an expert. So you have all these individuals kind of like stuck in their own boxes, not talking to each other, not you know, uh, not not engaging with other with other specialists. Yeah. So the yeah, idea is a... like, so you go from generalist. Uh, the, the path of academia is usually you go from generalist to specialist. Yeah, and and then very small niche. And, and very very tiny niche, yeah. Very very um, tiny. Niche. And and so Call's doing the opposite of that. He's trying to broaden and learn everything, um, uh, instead of instead of overly specializing. So he's seen it kind of weird to the extent that he has to kind of reinvent himself all the time. Yeah, and that's one of the other key things about him that we learn quite quickly is that he's not afraid to break the rules. You yeah, know, he does. So one of the things we've always picked out about the Mechanicum is they are very much bound by tradition. You do it this way because this is the way we have always done it. Whereas Cool is bucking against that trend. So he has to reinvent himself. He has to uh, change his access codes and things, doesn't he, on his file and stuff. So it doesn't look like he's been constantly moving around. And he knows time is running out. He knows he's going to get caught soon because he's got, got around most of the autos by this point. And he knows he's soon he's going to make a choice, but he doesn't want to make a single specialist choice, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, uh, it, they're trying to pin him down like Leonardo da Vinci, aren't they? That he's an expert of everything. That That's where they're kind of... He, yeah, pretty he, much. They're, they're pushing him into like this genius level Magos. Um, I, I can see the criticism. Now that now that you, now that we've talked about it a little bit, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing what you mean. Yeah, uh, that he was kind of brought in a little bit, you know, Mary Sue-ish or Marty yeah. Sue. Yes, but he he's interesting because he is an interesting I like, character. Absolutely, he, yeah. I like the fact that he's going against that tradition. He isn't. He's a, not afraid to break the rules. He still comes across as a very human esque character as well, doesn't he? He's still very emotion led, not logic led, as well. So in a lot of his discussions, he will play devil's advocate on purpose which I quite like. I quite liked that purposely baiting other makers and other yeah. tech priests to kind of challenge their thinking. Absolutely. And I think we learn a lot, especially from his conversations with uh, Freerish, I think uh, was his, yes. uh, was his colleague. Um, I, 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 I like the conversation. It tells you a lot about the Mechanicum. One thing that I noticed is that he could play devil's advocate and make a case for Caliber Hall. Um, 
right? Mm. He could actually discuss this openly, where I think that in most of the Imperium, if you discussed, well, maybe Horus has some good, good points, you're probably going to get immediately dragged into the street and shot. Yeah. And he also challenged the idea that the Emperor is the Omnissire as well. Yeah. Which is a significant step. You know, most yeah, because the mechanicum, the, the the loyalist mechanicum, uh, the 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 dogma is that the uh, isn't the emperor um, uh, uh, an agent of the omnissiah, but not the omnissiah no, himself. The Omnis- they, they say he is the omnissiah. He is the omnissiah. Okay. Yeah, whereas the dark mechanicum ones that challenge that a lot more. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Not very yeah, imperial no, truthy. No, and that's actually something that's raised up a couple of times as well, isn't it? That the, the emperor allows religion where it's useful for his purposes, like the Martian, like the Martian creed. Now that you mentioned it, though, it's, a, it's another. It's a theme in the A storyline as well. Yes, yeah, that's a, and that's a significant thing which we'll come yeah. back to. So we'll, we'll we'll park that one there. Um, so what's cool doing here? Well, I mean, other than his amazing philosophical discussions and trying to avoid being caught and being forced to take a master's. Um, well, he's learning he the secrets of the uh, 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 the cybernetica at this point, right? Yes. Yeah. Because uh, he's he's been going through the different orders and and getting really good, and and then you know leaving and, and creating a new personality somewhere else to try to like you know accumulate as much knowledge. Uh, he wants to be a polymath. And they yeah. they make it so clear too that when you, you, the name of his uh, servitor, yeah, and we'll come back to his illicit upgrades in a few moments, shall we? Absolutely, but uh, I think that just the 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 name of the servitor tells you everything about what they're trying to where they're going with this character. Like the the servitor is named after uh, Tesla. Yeah. So, so and he talks about when he's introducing the servitor to his colleague. It's like, oh, did I ever tell you this? It's named after this um, this polymath uh, that 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 was, you know, new. Every I know it, it is. People love Tesla. <laughs> uh, people on the internet love Tesla uh, a, a great deal. Yes, um, and we we can see how from this conversation it's linking back to what I said at the beginning about the controversy that surrounded him when he was introduced. In both heresy yeah. and 40k. So we can see how this fits together. So let's talk about his list of upgrades. Because okay. like we said, he's not afraid to bend and break rules. And from one of the things we picked up throughout quite a lot of the heresy novels, haven't we? Is that depending on your level of rank within Mechanicum determines what kind of upgrades you can have. So obviously the higher status maguses have a lot more augments, the lower ones other than things like tech throws and servitors, are minimum augments. Um, Services and tech throws are heavily augmented for the jobs they do, though. And Cole has one key upgrade, other than his servitor, which he built from scraps. So here we go, Anakin Skywalker building 3PO situation. Yeah. Um, so we, He lies we, about it, too. He says, oh, no, I, I, I managed to scrounge together enough money to buy a servitor, but no, he built it. Yeah, no, he built it from, from stolen scrap. parts, too. Like from, Yeah. Yeah, he's he's robbing graves and technology from places. Basically, uh, he basically upgrades his brain, doesn't yep. he? And we have a description of him doing that. And he, what's significant as well, and this is also an insight into his character, is he de- he invents this himself. This upgrade is brand new, developed by him using his own research. 
which goes completely against Martian idea of tradition. And this is something that obviously comes out in 40K, but it's a big part in the second part of the book, isn't it? Well, and to a little extent in this in the first part, when we look at um, how he gets found out, which we'll come back to later. And the description of how he has to insert effectively a memory core into his brain, I thought was really well done, wasn't it? Yeah. No, it's, again, interesting character. Um, so when he keeps talking about how he's not really, you know, the human body is is something, not holy, but it's something that, you know, in itself an impressive technology forged through millions of years of evolution and all that stuff. And and you don't need to, like, remove, you, need, you don't need to change it completely into a machine. Um, but he is, obviously, you know, playing around with, with it. Which and, is more part of his character. Yeah, it is. And so what he has, he has this kind of computer core, memory core, doesn't he, that he inserts in and out of his brain. And what he does in the upgrade, and he actually says, if it works, it will something like quadruple his memory storage or something. Uh, and if it doesn't work, it will kill him. <laughs> and I've, but the description... I don't know, how worth rolling the dice on, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of like that risky upgrade you do in role playing games sometimes, isn't it? It's just like, well, you got the skills. You sure you got your roles right? Did you make those critical successes? <laughs> um, but the description you need to roll above to... twelve. Yes, so make a constitution don't roll check. A one. Don't roll a one. <laughs> <laughs> but the description of how he inserts it into his skull and kind of the lining around that and all the antiseptics and stuff. I thought was really good. I thought that was one for better sections. And I, I love links... the contrast as well to his uh, his tech priest friend who's not very good at what he does. And he tried to make um, like ocular enhancements and yeah. it just keeps getting infected. Yeah, that's that was a really good contrast, like you say. Yeah, the, the ocular implants, it's red, isn't it? And it's weeping from his friend. Yeah, and he keeps having to put it like, I guess like, 30k polysporin on it. <laughs> like it yes it won't heal properly um and and i i love that edition in particular like um because it shows you that you know there are risks to this kind of playing around and sometimes it goes wrong and we yeah. don't really hear we always hear about like that we, we always hear so much about like uh you know the thalax and the uh the servitors you know the low end um and the magos but I, I I like this description of like middling tech priests yeah, that would like to be better at what they do, but they're really yeah. not. They're just they're just doing their best. They're doing their best. They're aren't doing they? their they're best. Those, they're just working. As along, long as you do trying, your best, you're a winner. Best. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. But it's also interesting that Calder has yeah, put some polysporin on your fucking on your on your implants. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting that calls hidden his implant. The fact is a cranial implant means it's going to be hidden behind the hoods and so on so no one can obviously spot that he's been tinkering with it yep so he's kind of skirting the edge but yeah he's using he the doing? human body as like a, 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 as a way of hiding um his power level if you will yeah 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 but his main role in trisolian is actually a fighter pilot isn't he he's maverick yeah he's maverick too yeah i'm starting yeah. to see the <laughs> yeah yeah. Do you see my point? You yeah. See where we go. So 
on this gas on best bin. Well, he's <laughs> been. Let's, let's... I mean, I, I mean, he's been he, he he's been piloting. He's been a pod racer for a while, so you know, just stick him in a fighter; it'll be fine. Yeah, and on this gas planet where they're collecting all these materials from, um, there are the way we referred to them earlier before we started recording was space whales. Yeah, the space whales. But they're they're vicious space whales. They're, they're a lot like, of whales can be pretty vicious. They're, they're more like space orca. <laughs> those are those are whales. They are whales. They're whales. They are. Whales. They are. A, but this... they're more vicious, aren't they? And yeah. they tend to attack the gas processing ships. So they these processing ships have to be surrounded by drones, effectively. Um, I imagine them a bit like Voltrax. You know, the flying drones in the Mechanicum Army list. Yeah. I I I I I imagine them as vulture droids from from Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> they literally way. call them Volterax. Yeah, yeah the, we're on the same story there. Okay, and yeah. So cool, and a group of other tech priests control multiple of these of these at one time. Don't they? I think there's three they control, and because they're Mechanicum, they control them through like the new sphere and uh, Cortex controllers. And this one processor during Call's time on duty gets attacked by a massive swarm, doesn't it? Including some, I mean, some of the descriptions, they are massive. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they're they're going after um, uh, the crews of 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 these um, these cloud mining. Um, are they rigs? I kind of read them as rigs. Yeah, yeah I kind of re- read them and I'm trying to kind of like a floating, like, kind of like best, like floating. There's a lot of Star Wars references in this particular section. Um, yes. I, I see them as like, yeah, oil rigs kind of like floating in the sky. Yeah. And they're open tops as well because yep. we do get descriptions. Oh, yeah, because you have the, 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 the whales well. started, the, the space whales started attacking. This is so silly. I just imagine my wife in the other room listening to to, to me talking about this, to, talking about this and and, and not knowing what the hell I've been reading. But uh, yeah, Space Wolves are kind of attacking these floating uh, uh, cloud mining rigs. And like, uh, and you have descriptions of like some of the, the tech priests that are like either getting like eaten or jumping off. And and um, and so you have like the, the, the several squadrons of these um, uh, cybernetica fighters that are defending the area. And, and they go in and, and that's call is, is one of the people that are like one of people that are using cyber theurgy to... Um, to control uh, a squadron, I think he's he has the second squadron. Yes, yeah, he does, and it's not going particularly well, is it? Let's it's going terribly. They're, they're going, they're getting massively overwhelmed. They're getting hugely swarmed by the space orcas. Um, but and then what what, see... what is Call's special power? He cares. Well, he cares. He cares. And that's this is that's what makes else. him different than everybody else. He cares. And and he won't let any more people die. Yeah. So I, well, it's I also interesting. He cares about the people on board the all platforms, but he keeps also asking. We don't know why the, the space orcas keep attacking us. We don't know what their purpose is, and he wants to understand that as well, doesn't he? So yeah, and, and he, what's really interesting, they, they, talk, they talk about um, they don't really understand much about them. Um, there's a few reasons. Like when you shoot them down, you can't. Their bodies tend to decompose really quickly um uh, and and there's not really much interest in taking them alive i mean you're kind of busy trying to like kill them yeah and and so there's they don't know much about this species it's it's a maybe this is their world right it's a microcosm of the imperium turn up oh there's xeno species in our way let's just kill them yeah 
going yeah, back right? to uh, to 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 the first uh, the first book of the whole series. Yeah. What if you left them alone? Yeah. What if what we if just you... leave them to Maybe? live their own lives? Can we live alongside them? Anyway, so the the space orca attack is going too successfully, isn't it? it they they are in danger of losing the entire rig. In fact, I think the rig loses an engine, doesn't it? And it starts to sink into the atmosphere a little bit more. And this is when Cool activates his special cybertherdy power. What does he do? Well, he takes control of um of of all the the fighters. Um yes. so all the other tech uh, all sorry, all the other uh, I guess the Magos they would be um um at least or like lower level Magos. Yeah, uh they all get like disconnected from uh, the I don't know if it's a new sphere, but they did get disconnected from their their connections and Cole takes over all of them. And, yeah. and he hacks the system. He, yeah. he hacks the system and he takes over using his new processing power. Uh, clearly, he, he's up, updated to the latest HP. Um, it would be so embarrassing if Windows decided to like update at that exact time. It's like, yeah. Ah, fuck. All right. Well, we've, we're probably going to lose that. that <laughs> going to lose that yeah. mining ring. Please, please don't update now. Please, please don't, don't update, update now. now. <laughs> and... Um, Yes, I've well, read the terms and conditions. <laughs> Please, I need to, I need to control these fighters. And um, but what's what's really interesting is they all comment about it, don't they? Every, everyone's kind of in shock because no one of that level should be controlling that many drones at once. Gee. And Cole actually says he can feel it burning inside his skull, doesn't he? He can feel the implant. At its maximum capacity and it's overheating. Like the PC fan is spinning at top speed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he, he has to show his, his true power level. Goes as you said, full on Maverick, right into the danger zone. Uh, all the fires. <laughs> yeah, it's like strategies that no one's ever thought of before. Yeah, um, and, he won't let and, Goose and, die this time. Yeah. <laughs> and, Fights off the whales. Yes. He and, then, and, and they're trying to stop him too. But okay, one great comment about this whole thing is that um, uh, all the, the, <laughs> the tech priests that are trying to like pull him out of, you know, like, or, or, or try to get him off the system or try to pull his his, his, his system out there. They haven't been taking care of their bodies. Because one thing about Cole is that, you know, he, he, he is taking care of his, his actual body and the other ones are just like, <laughs> yeah, too not, weak not, to move. <laughs> not only is he, is he a polymath, he's also a honed athlete. He's a honed athlete. He's like uh, he's he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger with with the mind of Nicholas Tesla. Yeah. Now, one <laughs> thing we have missed is we've missed talking about the Archmagus on this system. Yes, because she's a great character, and she becomes Absolutely. very significant later on, doesn't she? So, particularly in the second part of the book, and especially in the final section. And whereas Cool is trying to preserve his human form, this Ark Magos is certainly not. The description reminded me of Scoria. Yes. Well, a lot of the uh, the Magos have, have the, the sort of the spider legs. Yeah. But I like the idea that there's absolutely... And this is a criticism that Cole kind of lever, le levies against her is that she has pretty much no visible organics, and the closest yeah. thing to an, uh, to something human about her form is sort of like a silver mask that looks human. Kind of yeah, imagine it's... like uh, the, the 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 leper king from uh, Kingdom of Heaven. 
Yes. Yeah. And no, that's that's a perfect example, isn't it? And it, it's very bright chromed as well, isn't it? So it reflects yeah. the light. Um, she's also got these little jars hanging off her, her torso areas and all the equivalent of her torso as well, which becomes significant later on. Um, but she's very much a war magos, isn't she? She's very much not autoreductor, but she's very much more of a war war aligned magos rather than a research based magos. Yeah, she's more like uh she would be the equivalent of a high commander in the uh, Forge Rules Tagmata. Yeah, yeah. Tagmata, that's the word I'm looking for. And once Cole has fought off the, the space walkers, it's her thalax that drag him off, isn't it? Yeah, and then uh, a lot of uh, all the, all the other tech priests that were again uh, too flimsy to uh, be able to uh, move his exquisite uh, uh, muscular form. <laughs> oh, you should lucky. kill him! Kill him! Oh, kill! Him. He's going against the dictates. Yeah, He's a heretic. Lucky. Like a chiseled Greek god. He's a chiseled Greek god, <laughs> but with the mind of a genius. Yeah. And also incredible incredible fighter pilot skills. Yeah, like Leonardo da, Leonardo da Vinci with the body of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And also the the fighter skills of, of Maverick from Top Gun. Yeah. What a man. What a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I see it now. I see. I see the problem yeah, now. Do you, Anyways, do you see? Yeah. Do you see? You I get it, it now. Context. When you look at the whole situation, you go, "Yeah." Okay, but so he's so good, so attractive and muscular and 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 brilliant and too good of a fighter pilot. They're like, we should kill him. And they're like, yeah. oh, we should. Maybe we'll kill him. Let's torture him first. And typical mechanic. He he's too good at his job. He's too he good at his job. I mean, he's making everybody look bad. Yeah. He's going against, like you say, he's a heretic. He's a dick going against dictates. He's a danger from Mechanicum. Let's get rid of him. And we'll end this section. We'll talk about how he's taken off to the Archmagus's quarters, isn't he? So the last we see of him, he's dragged off by a pair of phallax, which generally does not end very well. Usually not. Also, another interesting detail I, I like about this is that uh, even this Magos's uh, Skitari, um, she controls herself. Uh, in that she yeah. can turn off because Skitari aren't like Thalax. Well, Thalax and Skitari have human components. Uh, Thalax are probably one of the most horrific things in this entire universe, where it's just a well, human brain and ner <laughs> nervous system inside yeah. of a robo suit. Um, Skitari are brain... mainly human. They have mean, but like she has an ability to turn off their consciousness and control them, like 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 uh, cybernetica. Yeah, they're, that's they're terrifying. Drones. It is. But it also gives us an insight into her level of power. Oh yeah, she's got a lot of levels. Yeah, yeah. She she's she's clearly played for long game, or clearly an NPC put in by the FDM. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on from this section. Let, yes, because we'll leave cool there. We'll we'll, we'll leave. Okay, to be clear, there cool. we're being glib, but I, I, like it's it's. It, I mean, it's a fun section, but like at the same time, now that we've talked about it, I see what the criticism was. Like, yeah. I get it. I, I agree. I, I I still enjoyed it. Cards on the table. I really enjoyed the cool sections in this novel. Reading back on it a second time, the cool sections are actually some of my favorite sections in this in this novel. I really enjoyed it because yeah. I haven't been so invested in Forty K Law for a while now, so I've kind of forgotten about him. And then just reading this, it's just like, yeah, okay, it's, it's quite good. But when when we sit down about this and we analyze it in depth, it's just, yeah, okay, 
I remember the criticisms there. Yeah, I, like I see it. <laughs> we, we we understand. Okay, cool. But well, let's move on to the A plot there. Let's let's yes. let's have our. I describe them as a a a dessert and um uh, and a fulfilling meal. Um, I should not have used those terms. It's more like a bag of Doritos that you you know. You shouldn't eat, but you'll eat it, and it's not good for you. And yeah. to both the full feeling meal and the dessert. Let's go with the A storyline, which yes. um, I don't have anything glib to say. It's 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 really good. Yes, let's let's talk about Lehman for Russ, the Lord of Winter and War, because they start using these full titles in this book, isn't it? And oh yeah, okay, full cards on the table. I love early medieval tales. I love stuff like Beowulf. The Mabinogi, the Irish heroic tales. That that's what my academic real strongly interested in. So this is why this book really appeals to me because the way the wolves are portrayed in this, you really get their culture coming through, don't you? But it's not the stereotypical space Viking culture. This is the full Volka Fenrika culture yeah. coming out. This is the full glory of what black library and forge developed for the sixth legion during the 30k period it's not the parody it becomes in 40k it's not the travesty of some of the latest space viking or wolf and wolf face ideas this this makes this legion probably one of the most fleshed out legions mm. backgrounds we have and it builds on some like spectacular storylines that they've done in the past uh um, spectacular stories they've done in the past. Uh, Prosper Burns, which Prosper Burns divides the community, not only yeah. because it's a book that's called Prosper Burns and yet Prosper Burnings in another book, um, but it divides the community a little bit. I think probably my favorite depiction of the route is uh, by Chris Rate in the book. What's the what's this what's the novella um, uh, about the Battle of uh, Alexis uh, Nebula? Wolf King. The Wolf King, yeah. Wolf King is one of the best short stories oh, in by the entire none. series. By, and like by far, by far. So I think the vibe I got from it, I don't know about you, the vibe I got from this one is Conan the King. You know the end of your original oh, Conan the Barbarian? Like at the very end? Old man Conan sitting on the throne and he's old and he's grizzled and you can see he's worn down. That is Russ in the first part of this book? Oh, absolutely. I, I I was thinking the same thing. You have, it's also just just reading a lot of the uh, just reading the uh, the the, the uh, Russ's speech. I keep thinking of Subutai from Conan. Yeah, because they do a lot of that, like the, the the broken English thing, to show his otherness, show that he's not a part of this society. And otherness that is a key theme. I mean this. Apologies to the listeners, I could get very carried away on this because my my niche, and we were talking about academic niches earlier, my niche is in depictions of the other world in early medieval literature. Yeah, I know it's very niche, don't punish me out of here, but this novel has so many strands of the other world and otherness going through it, which links into my rant in the next episode. Um, but yes... This first part of the novel is about making not just the route different from all the other legions, it's about how Russ is different even from a rat. And how he plays on that and how they play on mm. that as well. 
And I like the fact that everybody kind of knows it. Like at the very beginning where Loken goes to meet uh, Levin Russ, um, uh, Loken has been warned by Malkador, his boss, uh, yeah. that he plays the primitive, right? He plays the primitive. He knows how to play this game. Which Loken knew, because do you remember in Vengeful Spirit when they played um, Regicide? Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So Loken has already met Russ already. So Loken has already got this awareness that Russ plays a part in front of people. He plays a part. He plays one part in front of outsiders. He plays another part in front of his legion. And then you have Russ himself when he's alone. And we see all three parts of that. And what? where do we start? So let's let's start at the beginning, because that's kind of the overview. So we start with Russ interviewing all the Knights Errant that went on a vengeful spirit mission. Well, certainly, you do have the prologue. Uh, I, I, let's, let's establish the prologue real quick, because that's another really important Oh, I forgot the about the prologue. I forgot about that. How because, can I forget uh, about that? As we all know... <laughs> Lieben Rus was the second Primarch found by the Emperor after Horus. And um, there's there's this bit at the beginning which shows Horus um meeting Lehman Rus for the first time. And, and hating him. him. Pardon? And hating him. H- hating him, yeah, exactly. He was well, hate is supposed to be a strong word. There's a large amount of jealousy, isn't there? It's the new baby in the family, and suddenly not all yeah. the attention's on me. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. He's, he's jealous. He's and older sibling, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. Uh, and, and uh, well, that dynamic, I think most of us with a sibling uh, either way uh, uh, knows the dynamic. But, um, you know, now daddy's not going to have all his attention on me anymore. And uh, Horace, and, and Horace is conscious of the fact that it's irrational. He's conscious of the fact that he's jealous for nothing. He's conscious of that this is beneath him. He can't help it. Yeah. He does not like Lehman Russ. So it's already setting up that relationship, isn't it? And I really like the descriptions about when Russ is brought on board. I mean, we have to assume it's the Emperor's flagship at this stage, isn't it? And Horus and the Emperor are watching the Fenrisians and Russ in effectively a a hall, isn't it? It's it's a, a food hall. Oh, the best part too is when Horus sees, uh, I'm assuming Gary and Frecky or whoever they were before, like um, Lehman Russ's wolves. He's like, is that what a wolf looks like? You're named yeah. the Luna Wolf. You're, you're named after them. And you wear their pelts. A lot of your officers wear their pelts. Well, was, well you start realizing that it's like, ah, oh, man, that's that pig. That pelt's probably fake, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fat grown. Oh, dear. Yeah, the, the, the Emperor's like, you'd be, I think you'd be disappointed if you actually saw a Terran wolf. Yeah. I was like, oh man, that's a fake pelt. That is lame. That's that's wrong. Or really small. Or really, yeah, really great because like maybe horse is all about fur's murder, right? Maybe maybe that maybe that's also the source of of their enmity. The fact that uh, uh, Lehman Russ, uh, you know, he's respecting. He's a species. He's not. He's not respecting animals. Have you seen the pelt that Horus wears on his armor? It's a big pelt. It's a big pelt. It's a big pelt. It's a big pelt. Anyway, so Horace goes to introduce him, doesn't he? It, Horace goes down to introduce himself to Russ and the change in the Fenrisians when Horace walks into the hall, they, they go from very jovial, loud, stereotypical barbarians, you know, class, classical depictions of barbarians, laughing, throwing drink, 
challenging each other, pointless kind of acts of showing off to each other. And as soon as Horus enters, they completely change, don't they? They turn to a pack and they're kind of watching the, the yeah. alpha predator as they come in. Even Grecky and Frecky kind of get the heckles up a little bit, don't they? And you get this conversation between Russ and Horus in front of each other about how it is Horus kind of introduces himself and they're placing the Imperium almost, isn't it? How they co how they match alongside each other. Yeah, it's interesting. To, uh, uh, so before Horus meets them, they bring in the chapter master of the sixth, right? Because you know the the yes. the sixth legion already exists, right? It has a chapter master, and they bring him in, and and he introduces himself, and um, I, I Russ doesn't seem particularly impressed. Yeah, and he bow and he bends the knee as well, doesn't he? Oh yeah. You know, he bends the knee to Russ straight away. And Horace comments that he's never seen a member of the Sixth Legion do that before. Yeah, but, it, you know, his Legion did it to him. They're genetically programmed for it. Yeah, they are genetically programmed for it. We, we know that. Yeah, look, look at the word bearers and how they just follow authority quickly. Um, and the conversation turns around, doesn't it, to a, this classical macho squaring or, or Russ is certainly squaring up to Horus isn't he saying well do you want to spar do you want to fight and yeah. Horus is no Horus is like I, like oh, I'll spar with you it's like no I mean fight <laughs> like fight <Yeah>. fight <laughs> and Horus is like no nah, and yeah that. Horus is like no and, and he's still feeling jealous like oh man really this is my brother um and then and uh, Russ says like we're both wolves um and uh and he always every time he mentions the emperor he's always like uh the emperor like he always has that like that that kind of doubt, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Which I think is also important. But the the best part is, uh, and I think that another thread that runs through the whole book, and that's why the pro, the the prologue is so important. It's worth like uh, it's worth talking about. Is as Horace on his way uh, when you know, leaving Russ like let's fight, let's actually like let's let's fight, and then Horace walking away, it's like we'll spar with you. I'm not going to fight you right now, uh, <laughs> you dumbass younger brother. Um, he's walking uh, away and it's like, who do you think would win? And Horace is very confident. It's like. Oh, I would win. Um, but again, who would win is is such a major, it's such a simple, this is a story about brothers. It's such a simple thread and it's such an important thread of the relationship between the two. They both wonder that who would win. And the, the reality is a lot of them do. A lot of the primaries, this comes up a lot. It's just like, I wonder who would win. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I bet you anything, a chunk of the heresy is really just that question. It's like, I wonder who would win. Yeah, we should find out. Yeah, let's find. Out. Obviously, in some cases, it's very, very clear. Lord Garm, sorry, you're at bottom, but that 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 challenge between the two, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because we never really see much of Horus's and Russ's relationship during the Great Crusade. I should notice, but, but, but the, uh, um, later on in the story, uh, on on this note, though, um, uh, uh, um, Russ is like thinking about. Um, fighting all his brothers he's thought about he, he's thought about this before and what are the two he okay Lorgar he does mention uh is the weakest all right maybe not no Lorgar ascended there but like you know original Lorgar, that's, Lorgar like that's a different a, a, story like Lorgar classic it's not, it's not yeah but he, he there's two that he doesn't that that think he that he thinks he can't beat yeah which ones Horus obviously and no Horus isn't in there the two Isn't that he it? thinks he can't beat is Sanguinius yep. and Conrad Kurz. He doesn't think he can beat Conrad Kurz because of Conrad Kurz has like this 
this insane vitality or like this it's the, the, the conrad curse's insanity makes him almost possible to defeat and we've seen which is interesting route. yeah which is interesting about curse because we know in um oh, i forgot most of i forget what the short story is but it mentions also that dawn is the lightning tower scared lightning tower yeah it, dawn is not scared Curse puts Dawn on edge. I I have a buddy, uh, like one of my good friends uh, that that, that we play thirty k with. Um, he plays Alpha Legion. Um, he um, he's a really tough opponent. And one time, another buddy explained why. It's like you know why he's such a tough opponent because you never know what he's gonna do, and you never know what he's gonna do because he doesn't know either. Yeah, it's that makes him a dangerous opponent. Yeah. And it's that kind of mentality that occurs, isn't it? It's it's that whole idea. But yeah, Curse and Sanguinius are the two. Uh, with Horus, he's like, I maybe I'm not a hundred percent sure, but yeah. like the the one the, the two that he's sure that he can't beat is Sanguinius and Curse, which are yeah. again the the like mirrors of each other. Yeah, and we've we've talked about that previously, haven't we? About how mm. those two, like, when we when we do the Imperium Secundus storyline, and we talk about those two yeah. particular promarks squaring up against each other. So go back and listen to earlier episodes if you want to hear our insights into that fight with the melter bomb, melter bombs everywhere. But so, Russ is interviewing all the Knights Erin, and Loken is the last one to be called, isn't he? Yeah. And Loken's really on edge about this, isn't he? He doesn't know how this is going to go. He doesn't actually know if Russ is going to punish him because Loken was invited back to the Sons of Horus. He turned them down, but there's still that element of doubt around Loken, isn't there? There's still that question of, do we know where his loyalties actually fully lie? And there's and, only two of them that survived uh, the raid on the Ventral Spirit. This was back in the uh, in the book Ventral, uh, Ventral Spirit, right? It was back in uh, Battle of yeah. Moloch? Yes. So only two of them survived the raid. Um, no, it's more than ha- that. No. How many survived the raid? No, there's, I can't remember how. The half herd died. Kurz died. Uh, yeah, Cruz dies, and the apothecary dies as well. Most of them died. I'm sure of that. I thought most of them actually got out. I think they mentioned it, it in this. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. But uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But one of one of them is um, Trifinger, isn't it? Broad Trifinger. Yep. And he's a great character because he is a space wolf or Volker Fenrika, but because he spent so much time with the Knights Errand, he's much more approachable, isn't he? He's still got all their culture, and he's still got all the the routes, feelings around them, but he's more open to talking to people outside of the route. So he's a very good perspective character. Oh, absolutely. So they bring them in. Loken, he keeps insisting um because uh, the pathfinders maybe we should explain like the, 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 the pathfinders their objective was not necessarily to take Horus out but at least to figure out how it could be possible to map the ventral spirit uh yeah. to figure out like how to get into uh horse throne room and everything like that and and hopefully get get out and we also discovered that another element of that as well as the entrance to a throne room zone is also to all the strategic locations within the ventral spirit yeah but they also put down markers so they could track where the vengeful spirit were. They put down warp markers, didn't they? Yep. It w- and that was created through the use of runes. 
runes being traditionally associated with magic in Norse culture. So once again, we're seeing that idea of otherworldly. This another big theme in this book is the the challenge of how the wolves use the powerful warp. And that particularly comes up in the second, well, yeah. in the middle third of the book. So we'll save that discussion for when we get to that stage stage of the book next in the next episode. But that is another major theme because we know the wolves are hypocrites about the use of the warp. But we'll pause. Scars there. too. Yeah. And the scar the scars are a lot more open about it. The wolves are. But we'll yeah. save that because that starts leading to one of my big rants in the next episode. I look forward um, to it. Yeah. So Lucan's taken to the great throne room on the uh the Space Wolves um Gloriana. What's the Gloriana called? Uh Hernfrucker or something? Yeah, Hernfrucker. Yeah, something like that, isn't it? And what we have here is we have the stereotypical barbarians court, don't we? So we have Russ on a throne. He's got Freki and Greki next to him. Um, he's surrounded by all the wolf lords of the great companies. And you've got Throws in the room. You've got talking going on, drinking going on, stories being made. It is your stereotypical barbarian hall. And Loken is invited in. And Loken, uh, Loken has to then tell his version of the story of what happened with eventual spirit, isn't it? Because it's an oral culture. And this is something that's come out through the Sixth Legion time and time again, is they tell stories. It's an oral history which is passed on. And then you have the rune priests and the wolf priests who memorize those stories and pass them on to the next generation. So it's that traditional Northern European barbaric culture like you have in the Scandinavian with the Viking peoples or the Norse peoples or the Celtic peoples, except although that term is going to get really twitchy with me, so I'm going to avoid that one quite quickly. But we have here a stereotype. And Logan says, but you've heard these stories already. And Russ points out that it's different for every person. And by piecing the stories together, we get the truth of what happened. Yeah. And and Logan is convinced the mission failed. Yeah. Like, I apologize, we did not succeed. And a part of that is the fact that, again, um, Yachting, uh, Yachting Cruz, uh, the half-herd, died, and there was that temptation for Loken to rejoin the Sons of Horus. Um, he did not uh, take it, but nonetheless, he feels that the mission failed. Um, and and as far as... Um, what the hell's his name? The, uh, the, the Space Wolf? Yeah, a three finger three, yeah three finger he doesn't consider it a failure leaving rust doesn't seem to consider it a failure there is incredibly useful information that came out it, it's solid yeah. intelligence but the key question that's asked at the end is can i as in russ kill horus yeah yeah exactly he asked the he asked loken like straight up do you think i can kill him and, and loken to his great honor to his honor yeah no, 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 you can't. You can't kill him. He he's not the same horse. He's he's gained like 60 levels. Yeah. Have you seen his new stat line in the book? It's, it's insanity. <laughs> Have you seen the book? Like he brings out like the Liber uh, Hereticus there. It's like, look, yeah. look at the stat look, line. You can't be right here on page 312. You can't stand up to power of that magnitude. <laughs> 
I think we're we're going for a record of Star Wars references in this episode. Yeah, we are, it's a good one to get edited tonight, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so yeah, Loki's like you can't beat him, and so Russ. Okay, and 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 Russ admires him again for 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 telling the truth. So, but by then Russ has made up his mind. <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> now another part which is significant here is, is Russ is slightly distracted, isn't he, by the weapon he has to his side, yeah. because this weapon is going to become hugely significant in this story. And it's gifted to him originally by the Emperor, isn't it? So should we spend a few minutes talking about this weapon? The Spear of the Emperor? The Spear of the Emperor, which is gifted to Russ quite early on, isn't it? It's gifted to him quite early in the Great Crusade. Yeah, he's never used it. He's never used it because he doesn't like it. There's something about it. And (laughs) the way he describes it is it has a, a strange weird about it. Weird being this idea of fate attached yeah. to weapons, and it's it also a psi weapon that's important to note. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment, isn't it? Because that, that's important to his mind. Spears are not an honorable weapon, so he says swords are best because you, you need skill, axes you have to be skillful and cunning to use them at the right time. Yeah, because they're, the uh, they're um, well, they're unwieldy in AP2, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. whereas the spear is he doesn't call it a coward's weapon but he says it's a cunning weapon it's a it's the blade that strikes quickly it's the, it's the sudden thrust isn't it and it keeps them the enemy at the distance so he he talks about spears quite negatively as a useful weapon this particular spear as you say is also a psi weapon now there is another character who has the companion spear to this is it valdor it's Valdor. Valdor's yeah. spirit is the companion. And there is actually a short story about the creation of these two weapons. And oh, really? We dis- yeah, there is. Yeah. And we discover it's actually the Emperor himself who creates them. And they've both got a similar person. They both have kind of a trait around them. Now, once again, this goes back to very traditional Northern European folk rule, uh, folklore about weapons, that weapons have a history attached to you. I mean, classic examples of things like uh, Arthur's Excalibur, for example, or Mjolnir for, for Thor. The, these weapons have a history and a focus around them. And the Empress Spear that Russ is carrying also has this attached to them. So we discover that Russ never uses it because he doesn't like it. It feels strange. It feels weird. And we do discover later on in a later discussion, I think it's with Malkador, isn't it? about what the spear does. Do we want to cover that now? Is that in the first bit? I don't recall this I th- bit. I think it's, yeah, I, I think it is in the first section because it's when um, Malcolm, it's when Russ goes down onto a planet, uh, down onto Terra to have a conference with all the- Oh, is that when they're, they, they play Regicide? Yes. Okay. No, 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 that, no, no, it's a different section. It's after the conference when Russ says, oh no, I'm going. I, I, this is one which we'll, we'll talk about later and Malkador kind of talks about what the blade does let's put it in because we're, we're spending a lot of time on it anyway so it. what what the spear does anyone wounded by the spear sees their true reflection so it gives an, in, an insight for a person who's injured by the spear into what they are truly like now as we'll see as this story goes through that is a major thread isn't it this idea of identity something that was touched on in the Wolf King as well about who is what is your true identity what do you actually mean to yourself not just for people around you 
And that's important throughout this entire novel, but really comes up strongly in the middle section, the middle third. So, Logan leaves, and that's when there's effectively a tribal council, isn't there? Yeah, and again, Russ has made up his mind. Yeah, but being a first monk's equals, because this is very much how Russ rules his legion, isn't it? Is he puts it to his council, he puts it to his great company, Wolf Lords, to say, this is what I want to do, do we think we should do it? I mean, it sounds, sim- it sounds glorious. Yeah. What's his simple plan? He's going to go kill Horus. <laughs> going to kill Horus. You're going to kill Horus. Like... But or Russ die trying. Perfectly, yeah. Russ is perfectly honest, isn't he? Russ is perfectly honest and says, I don't think I can do it. And he actually gives <laughs> the order, doesn't he? That if you don't think we can be successful, there is no dishonor with taking your great company and seeking your own path. Yeah. So he, you know, we we very much see here the the king of the people saying, "Look, it, it it's there in Helm's Deep, isn't it? It's we're going to go for this glorious charge. If you're with me, you're with me. And what do all twelve well, wolf lords say? Well, they're all down. Problems? It's like, of course they are. Who the hell is going to say it's like? Ah, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to face Horus. Like, how do you say that? You don't say that. Like, you know, no. It's the death ride. Let's we're we're, we're doing this. Let's do it." But the problem compared... is, <laughs> they point out the problem is, uh, pretty sure Dorn thinks we're going to stay uh, and, and fortify Terra. Yeah. But suddenly he might not be as important to, to the plan as he was, you know, a couple hours before. Yeah. Is what, it's interesting shows what you say there about how all the 12 of are like unanimous, like, they oh, know we're, we're going. Of course we are. Compare that to what happens with the Night Lords when Horus ah, is taken down and they're the same choice. So when when Sevatar says, right, we need to either keep religion together or, or when he, he gives him a choice, doesn't he? He's like, we can stay here and deal with Dark Angels or you can go and do your own thing. And over half the Night Lord companies go off and do their own thing. So you, similar choices being made. We can go for a Primarch or we can continue the main fight. In the Wolf's case, all of them go for taking out the enemy Primark. In the Night Lord's case, half of them go off and do their own thing. It, it's a really interesting comparison. Mm, I like that. But, um, yeah, so, so but at the same time, I think I think it worked for the Night Lords. I think they probably did more damage. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, splitting up and and uh, than than they, they were doing as a legion um, at Thramis. Yeah, well, they're a legion of terrorists. So of course, they're going to do better when they split up into small yeah. cells, aren't they? It's like like uh, Conrad Kerr is so much more effective as just a space terrorist than than as a uh, as leading a primer. Kerr's is so much more effective without his legion. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He did <laughs> way more uh, more damage yeah. without his yeah. legion than, than with it. Yeah. Just leave the Night Lords with Sevitar. You go and do your own thing, and just let us get on with it. So let's go back. Why is it suddenly not so vital that the walls remain at Terra? Well, I think Sanguinius has arrived. Yes. The Blood Angels are back. Yeah, the Angels have made Planet Coincidentally, when you're about to tell your brother that you're leaving the defense of Terra, uh, another brother has come to replace. It's like written in the stars. It is. But once again, it goes back to that theme of fate we talked about earlier. It is yep. fate for Russ to go and challenge Horus. And at the moment when he needs to do that, another Primarch arrives to take his place. Yeah, so they bring in... Uh, uh, and, and the... I love the description of bringing the 
the Blood Angels to Terra because, you know, every single camera or picked recorder or whatever uh, um, in the system is just like following them. And it's it's like, this is a huge, glorious celebration on Terra, but they're, they're, they're literally describing it as um, essentially uh, um, doing like visual effects to the, to the fleet to like pretend that they're not completely battered to hell. Yeah. They, they've got the right angles, haven't they? So they avoid the right angles. Down. And, and what is it like um, a, a, a pick, painter or something like that essentially they're they're yes. editing out uh, uh uh battle damage because the blood angels they're are photoshopping beaten. it as it goes yeah <laughs> so the uh the blood angels finally get get to terra uh sanguinis comes out huge celebrations everybody and terra is, is super excited because probably a day off loves, yeah everyone loves the emperor's everybody loves sanguinis. and of course sanguinis to himself is like uh, i fucked up fucked up fucked yeah. up we need to talk. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to. Be... I just I, I was the emperor for a while. Yeah. Not supposed to be. But he doesn't mention. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't mention Ultimus. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't mention the Imperium Secundus. I like like I guess none of the Blood Angels. No one. Like how? What about all the bridge? What about the crews and everything like that? Like they must be kept on the ships. Yeah. Um, just to make sure that no one spills the beans. That. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sanguinius essentially usurped his father. Yeah, go go go! Throw the outer system. Off you go. <laughs> drop off, drop off the legion. Go to the outer system. You'll be fine. Yeah. But the important thing is that now Sanguinius is here. Oh, now you have you had three legions before. Now yeah. you still have three legions. For Russ, that means I can leave. So um, they have a council, don't they? They they, they yeah. Get and this is Valdor. and by the way, this is why I, I glibly mentioned that this reminds me to be uh, the the first third of Deathfire. Because it was sort of the same thing, where the yes. salamanders have to convince everybody to let them leave. Yeah, but that, and that's a significant point in this council. Malkador and Dawn could have told the other primarchs at that point. Oh yeah, by the way, Vulcan's in the basement. Yeah, <laughs> and they don't, and they don't. They keep it secret still, don't they? Yeah, and no one knows Vulcan's in the basement until later. Yeah, it's just like we're no, we're not going to talk about him down there. But we'll keep that to yourself. Why? Why doesn't Dawn tell them this is the perfect opportunity to tell them? You know, you got four. You know, were told for like a whole year. Remember yeah. the battle, uh, the, the, the main beta Garmin campaign hasn't started yet. In which, fact, this and, is one of the build ups to it, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Dawn is talking here. And, about... and they find out in the book Solar War, they found out during the attack on Terra that, oh, yeah, Vulcan's in the basement. Yeah. Sorry, excuse me. I what? still don't understand why they, I, they just, I just don't, don't mention get it. it. No, I don't get it. Because Valdorn would know because he spends so much time in the Imperial Dungeon. Yeah. Malkador definitely knows. And Dawn's told by Malkador. So, you know, three people in that council, half the council, have the opportunity to say something. Yeah. And like, I'm, I don't like Dorn all that much, but I have to admit, he's kind of important <laughs> for this, for the, the, yeah. the defense of the throne world. If you're gonna yeah. tell anybody, anyways, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We, we talked about this when we talked about so. <laughs> like, yeah. Where the fuck? Just tell them. But what we get here is our first insight into a Beta Garmin campaign, don't we? So we we do hear that Beta Garmin is been happening for quite some time now. But well, it's, it, during the whole war, Beta Garmin has been a war zone, but it has, it's been fairly minor. It hasn't been yeah. like an important front. No, but it's increased now because basically it's the last stable warp route. To the soul system, 
Yeah, it's it's a conjunction of I think three or four uh, different war yeah. groups that have to go through beta garments. So it really is the natural. If you're going to attack Terra, you can flank. And and again, this is one of the things that they're worried about. Is like, well, Horus could flank us and and not go through beta garment. But if you don't secure beta garment, you got a problem because now yeah. you're fighting with Imperial force and beta garment behind you. Yeah, um, essentially. Yeah, you, you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. And it's worth pointing out the Trisolian system, where Cold is based, is close to Beta Garmin. It's close on that warp conduit. So yeah, they're 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 debating. Now that Sanguinius is, has arrived, did not tell them about uh his uh being emperor for a bit. And and yeah, they're they're, they're debating strategy. There's a couple well, there's two basic points of view. The problem they're having, okay, the destruction of Davin. Uh, made it that uh, the rune storm is abating. So ships are arriving to Terra much faster. Gulliman's forces are presently um, uh, advancing on a broad front, uh, occupying the traders significantly, but like advancing on Terra. Um, and and because the rune storm is abated, it can move fairly quickly. And Time is of the essence. The uh, angel also explains that Reliant is having fun with cyclonic torpedoes and trade to homeworlds. Yeah, exactly. So the the lion's on his mission of vengeance, which is also occupying uh, traded resources. Probably better spent a bit of Garmin, but whatever. Dorn Dorn's idea is that okay, we have to make a stand, uh, and we have to buy time for Gulliman to arrive. The best place to make a stand is um, a bit of Garmin. And what's the most important reason that you want to make your stand a bit of Garmin instead of Terra? Because you want to preserve Terra as much as possible. And you can deploy Titans. Yep. You can deploy Titans on Terra, and they do. But the idea is right now, Terra has not been destroyed. And yeah. if you Would deploy like Titans... It? Yeah, exactly. If you decide that the, 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 the big Titan battle is going to be on Terra, Terra is going to be destroyed because they're yeah. fucking Titans. So yeah. if we're going to have... Uh, you know, they have tons of Titans. So, okay, let's... If we're going to deploy them somewhere, Beta Garmin is the better place. Um, if you can hold them a bit of Garmin long enough for Gulliman to arrive, then uh, you can you can essentially trap uh, the uh, uh, Horus's forces between Beta Garmin and uh, the Ultramarines that will be coming, um, I guess, from the yeah. direction of Terra. Right? I mean, it's a sound plan. It, it is a, a sound plan. Yeah, it, it's it's defensive, but that's the way the loyalists have to be fighting at the moment. They've got, they've got no other choice. Their forces are too weak to do an offensive. So why not plan the best defensively? And all the way through this council, Russ is silent, isn't he? He's not really saying much at all. And they make final decisions about, okay, we're going to send as many troops to the muster at best and beat garment as possible. We need to buy time, et cetera, et cetera. Everything we've just been discussing. And then Russ stands up and says, that's great. I'm going to go kill Horus. I'll see you later. <laughs> Pretty and, much, yeah. Like, yeah. And um, Dawn loses his shit, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's not ha like. What do, you, what do you mean? I thought I had convinced you otherwise. Like, yeah, no, no. I, I was. I, yeah, I, I, I yeah, told you from day one. I'm gonna sally out. I'm gonna sally forth and kill kill Horus, and that's what I still plan to do. It's like, well, you, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna stop? Yeah, and he says you're thrown away. You're leaving, and Russ said, yeah. "Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> because again, this is something that we've talked about so much on the show is the fact that." russ's role in this whole thing he's the emperor's executioner and yeah. he has to go execute <laughs> and like, that's not made for the the kind of war that Dorn Dorn wants to fight um no. and i think the con, the con isn't made for it either but the con i think can adapt better um sanguinius can adapt i mean they they, they can fight this kind of war but the, the well, russ is not going to fight this kind of war the calm points out 
that it's his duty to stay and protect the throne world, doesn't it? It may not be his preferred style. In fact, it's nowhere near his preferred style of warfare. But he points out that I have a duty to remain. Russ counters that by pointing out that it's his duty, his executioner, to go yeah. and kill Horus. And once again, we see this idea of fate, this idea that Hor- that Russ is fated to execute the Emperor's enemy. He did it with Magnus. There are suggestions he could have been involved in the second and eleventh, although that's never really built on, but there's lots of little hints dropped about that. Or certainly he knew about what happened to the second eleventh, but let's let's skip that. But he knows he is fated to try to kill Horus, even though he knows he probably can't do it. Yeah. But he's not going to turn away from that path. He's not going to turn away from what his weird is dictating to him. Exactly. And Dorn's argument is like, well, we need all the legions. Like, we have, if I leave, we have as many legions here as we had last week. Yeah. So that's a bullshit argument. I mean, I'm, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And I guess when I I mentioned this, it reminds me of the first third of Deathfire. It's a little bit different in that, I mean, Emperor Sanguinius could easily have told uh, the crew of the Cryptus that they're not allowed leaving. Not the Cryptus, what is it? No, it is the Cryptus. It's Cryptus, yeah. He could have told him, it's like, yeah, you're not allowed leaving with Vulcan's body. Um, it's just that who's going to tell Russ that he can't leave? And at one point, he's just like, okay, there's one person on this planet that can tell me not to leave. Yeah. Father, Emperor, if you don't want me to leave, strike me down. <laughs> like, tell yeah. me right send now. Me, send like, me a sign. Send, send me a, a sign. sign. Silence. Nope. I'm okay. out. Okay, bye. <laughs> Who's going to tell me I can't leave? And Jordan's like, ah, all right, well, whatever. What are you going to do? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and and so they leave. The, uh, the, 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 the Space Wolves go on their death ride. But there's a couple more things as well, isn't there? So during this, now, this preparation stage, we get an idea about how battered the Sixth Legion actually Oh, yeah. Are. So they're absolutely wrecked at Prospero. They're then mauled at the Battle of Alexis by um, the Alpha Legion. And there's, in the second uh, part of the book, they actually talk about how empty the Fang is when they get to Fenris and the There's Fang. also Valheim. Yeah. Yeah, uh, where they're absolutely wrecked again by the Iron Warriors, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so the Legion is way below a decent operating strength. They also talk about ships as well, don't they? They, they talk about, for example, uh, the Frankel, that it would take years in a space dock decades 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 to fix it to get back to its operational uh, proper operational status so this is an idea about how badly damaged they are now russell also realized he has to make a couple of choices he knows he can't go straight for horus so he what he wants Mm. to do is he wants to return to fenris first doesn't he? he wants to consult with fenris about the best course of action and this goes into this otherworldly section. We'll, move, we'll be moving on to the next episode. But he's also double checking things as well. So he leaves his spear behind in a couple of places, doesn't he? And it always returns to him. Yeah, he leaves it on Terra and Valdor brings it back. Yeah. And then another yeah. point, he leaves it in a space dock and it's returned by some, um, some yeah. servitors. So yeah, it's, you know. It's this idea that his fate is connected with a weapon. The two of them are intrinsically linked. This is the weapon's fate to be used to try to slay Horus. It is Horus's, it is Russ's fate to use this spear. 
Yeah, that's it. That's its entire purpose. It's a a single tracked line narrowing down to its final moment. Is there anything else? Because I think that's such such a great way to conclude. Yeah, I think that's it. I think we can leave it there. I think that's that's very poetic, and you put it very well. So that's part one of of Wolfsbane. Again, this is this is the happy Darren section. The happy, this is the happy part. Well, in the next episode of the Age Dark Podcast, uh, Darren's going to let us know what he thinks about the second third of the book. Tune in; it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, welcome to Two Week Hobby Challenge. Uh, so, uh, in the last two weeks, I think we've all made a little bit of progress. Probably s- most of us made more progress than I did, but we'll see. Uh, Darren, what did you do in the last couple weeks? Working on demons. Um, I'm, I, that project is slowly coming to a grinding end, so I'm on the last batch of basing on horrors. Um, and I also built myself a 16th Legion Contemptor from a new plastic kit as well. So, but I, I Cthonian up a bit. I put a few spikes and a couple of chains on it to make it a little bit looking a bit more brutal for the sixth theme. So I'm quite pleased how it turned out, actually. Quite happy with that. I did also get a couple of games in. Oh, do tell. Yeah, I, we um, went out to Warhammer World because, you know, we can just drop in. Being lucky here in the UK. We don't get LVO. We do get Warhammer World. Um, and with... Uh, thousand some player it was just thousand point games we did a couple of thousand point games just to kind of try out the system ease ourselves into playing a new game quite a lot of takeaways um it's good it is reactions do make a difference you really have to be paying attention and alex i know you talked about this when you were talking about your game as well that the reactions are make the game much more tactical you have to be far more aware of what your opponent's doing and kind of planning ahead but also think about ahead about how your opponent is going to react to you as well so mm-hmm. i like that um there seems to be a lot more balance now between shooting and combat i mean we've got a lot more units into close combat because you weren't so concerned about overwatch um and close combat is as brutal as ever particularly when you get the dreadnoughts in with literally the brutal rule but yeah it's good the psychics are so much better my um, opponent was using thousand suns but you didn't feel like you were sitting there for half an hour removing handfuls of modelers at, at a time as they did things to you the psychics just seem to be a lot more integrated in so a lot of the stuff we've talked about in the last few podcasts is actually accurate i think that that's a key thing so yeah that's been my hobby for the last couple of days. what about yourself jp uh i've continued working on uh, my uh, rancid uh pond actually i think i'm done now i i think i can call it done um my rant and this will be up i will i haven't posted it in a while because it's been really work in progress although i probably should have done that um but i have a rancid pod for my um uh, um don't look back terrain that i've been working on since i got back from De- adepticon um just so very different um just making like weird uh uh more you know modern looking terrain um had a lot of fun with leaves uh so i, I got some leaves from outside and i cut them up into little pieces and and got them floating on on the water one of the frustrating things about uh, this project hasn't been really been frustrating, but um, the stuff I've been using is the Woodland Scenics uh, Realistic Water. I think I mentioned last episode, and it just takes forever to actually make it look good. You have to do like l- like little layer, and then wait a couple of days, and little layer, wait a couple of days. So it winds up being a long project, but I've never done anything like this, and it's been a lot of fun. So I think I'm calling it done, and we'll see what I do for the next time, but it won't be this one final. 
And what about uh, Alex? Uh, what have you done the last couple of weeks? Well, gosh, not as much as I should have. Um, I did finish building the command squad that I think we talked about on the last one. Um, and uh, got that fully bespoked up. Uh, and I've got the airbrushing of the red uh, done and, and finished on those those gents now, as long as as well as the red um, on uh, a squad of assault cannons, just a five man squad of assault cannons. Uh, and a dreadnought, like a regular box knot. Um, and he's built up uh, kind of to look like the original sort of Furioso dreadnought. So he's got like a fist and a multi-melter and like a little flag on his head. Oh, classic. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I like him quite a bit. And I, I, actually, I like using the, the regular dreadnoughts. I don't know. I know contemptors are hot right now, but I may have beaten up a contemptor dreadnought with a regular box knot. Sweet. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that's all for me. Excellent. So uh, to conclude, we will be playing a song by the band uh, Vortex of Despair. Uh, this was not in our uh, metal special because we keep finding more. So this might be in metal special number two, but uh, we are really stoked. By the way, uh, don't think I mentioned it, but I'm so stoked about like the incredible response that we've gotten from that silly idea of the uh, the the um, the Warhammer metal special. And another big shout out to Ben uh, for for doing most of the actual research for for that episode. Uh, so let's play some Vortex of Despair. So in the next episode, what are we doing in the strategy? Potentially, well, hope, well, let's let's go with Plan A. Plan A is we're going to be looking at a deep depth of the Night Lords and seeing how the Eighth Legion have changed in the new rules. Uh, if we don't do that, then. The next strategy will be the Zomortalis rules from the White Dwarf because we want to see how that's been changed and adapted because there's a few nice little tweaks in that for those smaller games of Zomortalis. Exciting. Uh, and in Tales of Heresy, we'll be uh, continuing our discussion um, of Wolfsbane. That, that's going to be my rage one, part two. Part two's <laughs> your rage one? Excellent. Yeah, part two's my rage Well, one. I can't wait now. <laughs> I wonder what you're raging about. Um, I think uh, all our listeners will be uh, uh, waiting uh, with anticipation. And before we uh, before we uh, sign off, I just want to thank Alex once again, once again for coming in as a ringer, and not only that, but uh, giving us an amazing analysis of uh, his favorite Legion. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm always happy to stop by. That was episode 129 of the podcast. As usual, thanks for listening. Oh, 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 oh,
Fuck the bell, 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 f